In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, heavenly King, O comfort of the Spirit of truth, who art ever present and fillest all things. I treasure every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O good one. The title of the last talk was Speak Less to Your Children and More to God About Your Children. And from what I heard, people learned quite a lot from that talk. Of course, it was based on the saints, especially St. Paisio, St. Porphyrus, but we had other saints in there as well. That was talk 76. Today is talk 77. So we've been doing now the talks here with God's help for about 10 years. We started 2007, but I had a year off because I was sick, so around about 10 years, which is a miracle. When, when you think about it. And today's talk is going to be a continuation of the last talk. I'm going to repeat some things from the last talk and then go into more detail. And today's talk is going to be how can clergy and monasteries help parents who have problems with their young and adult children? Before we get into that, I want to speak to you a little bit about appetizers. I never really understood what appetizers meant actually, until I just had an idea, but I never understood it. So I looked up the definition of appetizers. So an appetizer is a small portion of food or drink served before or at the beginning of a meal to stimulate the desire to eat more, to actually have appetite, which I never really even knew. What's that got to do with today? Well, when you come into a talk, you're receiving... I suppose you're receiving physical food too, but you're receiving spiritual food. So today I thought of giving you some spiritual appetizers to make you hungry for more, to make you want to learn more, to hear more, instead of getting straight into the main meal. What happens when you go into the main meal straight away? A lot of times you get sick. Not very good, but the same as spiritual. Sometimes you need a little bit of an appetizer in the beginning. That's why St. Paisius used to say, before prayer, it's a good idea to read first and then do the prayer. The, the reading helps get into the mood for the prayer. Some people dive straight into the prayer and they're cold. And by the time they warm up, if they even warm up, the prayer's over, so they really don't receive any benefit. But St. Paisius said, and really all the saints say, read something, do a little bit something in the beginning, and then do the prayer rule. Instead of wasting your time. So say you dedicate 15 minutes a day for your prayer rule, or 20 minutes, and you dive straight into it. For the first 10 minutes, perhaps, maybe even more, you're cold. You don't feel much. By the time you're finished, you might just get a little bit of benefit, or maybe not at all. But you read the prologue, you read the Bible, you read a life saint, and you warm up. You're in a better state to then get into the heavy food, which is the prayer. So... Let's look at some appetizers. I've got a few of them for you. In a book called Follow Me, written by Bishop Augustine of Florina, he speaks about St. John Chrysostom. 
And he says, as we know, St. John Chrysostom spoke out against the vices of his contemporaries, great and small, with inexpressible boldness. This means that during the time of St. John Chrysostom, he didn't have fear. He didn't care about people in high positions, people that can do him harm. When he saw sin, he condemned it. Whether it was the emperor, or whether it was other noble people in the nobility, whether it was rich people, or whether it was poor people, he would still censure them with boldness. Today and always, there's bishops who speak about that and there's others who don't. If they don't speak about it, like I've said before, they shouldn't be bishops. That's what the canons say. One of the jobs of the bishops is to tell the people if they're doing something wrong. So if there's a problem, like today, there's a problem in the Orthodox Church. What's that problem? The problem is that people send their kids to Catholic schools, to Protestant schools, etc. That's a big problem. That's against the canons. And yet, how many bishops have you heard who say anything about that? Why not? It's not fashionable. They're not going to be liked. People are going to get upset with them. Some will say, oh, maybe he's so holy that he prays on his prayer rope in his room secretly. No, that's not acceptable. He can pray on his prayer rope at home, at his place, secretly, while at the same time he tells the people in church, don't send your children there. Don't have abortions. Keep your marriage pure. Don't fall into adultery. Things like that. But people make excuses and go, no, he, he does, but he does it secretly. Of course, we know that that's not correct. So St. John Chrysostom, he wasn't scared. He spoke up. Some people during his time expressed the fear that the strictness of his words, the harshness of his words sometimes, might injure the flock and cause many to stray away from the church. Some were scared and said, oh, because he's speaking so strictly to the Orthodox Christians of Constantinople, they're going to leave the church, they're going to not go to church or go to other type of churches. To these people, St. John Christum responded from the pulpit saying, the pulpit is when he stands in church and does the sermon, the pulpit. Quote, the disciples were but 12 and hear what Christ says unto them. Would you also go away? If you remember, Christ said, whoever doesn't eat my body and drink my blood does not have life. And people heard it and were scandalised and said, what's, what's he saying? Is he telling us to be cannibals? People were scandalised. And from then on, a lot of the disciples were going away from him because they, uh, they couldn't understand his words. Then Christ turned to the 12 apostles and says in a calm voice, would you like to also go? 
didn't explain himself. He left it as it is. He didn't say, but please don't, don't go because, you know, I'm going to lose you and I'm not going to have people to follow. None of that happened. Like today, some priests, like they're crawling to the people and running after them. Before, you go, oh, but, but they're showing love. Are they showing love? They think that that's Christianity, but it's not Christianity. Because why, he says here. So, Christ said to them, would you also like to go? That's the end of the quote from the Bible. Now, St. John Chrysostom goes on. For if we go on forever flattering you, how shall we convert you? How shall we help you? See, today, as it was in those times, people who want to make disciples, people who want to, to have followers, flatter people. Flatter means praise them. Oh, you're good. A oh, hundred prostrations. Wow. Well, I say, was that out of deception? Or did he do it to lose weight? I don't know. He's doing it in front of the mirror. Maybe he's doing it in front of the mirror. She's doing it in front of the mirror. I question things. I don't go, wow. Last night I did three acathests. Well, why can't you just do one? What's the purpose of the third one? Why, why do three? Because I'm spiritual. Most people will praise that person. I don't. I think to myself, Maybe they're deceived. So people today, to get followers or to bring people to the church, use flattery, praises. And yes, you're supposed to encourage, even the apostles encouraged, but they also censured. Censured means they said to the people, this what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong to take oral contraception because it actually causes abortions. Do you hear that? I don't think so. Oral contraceptions cause abortions. That's how they work. People think it avoids conception. No. Conception occurs, the sperm unites with the egg, then there's what we call conception. The egg, the fertilized egg, is embedded in the uterus, if I'm correct. Then the contraception pill, the oral contraception pill, has the effect of thinning out the lining of the uterus, the blood that's there, which women, when they don't have a fertilized egg, they menstruate. But that blood that's there is preparing for the fertilized egg, and that's thick in the uterus. So what happens is, if I'm correct, the pill thins, thins, thins out that blood. It's the, I don't know the scientific way of saying it. Anyway, and then the woman has a miscarriage. So w women that are on contraception pills could be having so many miscarriages. And you say, oh, I've never heard of that it's not fashionable. Today it's praises. And then we say here, but someone can say, 
there are other sects, like other religions, and people will go to them, these people that are arguing with St John Chrysostom, but they'll go to other religions if you tell them off or say things that are a little bit harsh or whatever. And St John Chrysostom says this is a cold argument. This is a silly argument. Better is one person that does the will of God than 10,000 people who tread on the will of God, on the commandments. Now, you might say, but people do sin. Are you saying that everyone's going to be perfect? No. Well, of course we fall, but we repent and we pick ourselves up and keep on struggling. That's an orthodox Christian, not someone who does God's commandment perfectly. We would like to do that, but we don't. So as long as we're struggling and as long as we're repenting, we confess, etc., humble ourselves, etc. So St. John Chrysostom says, better to have people who are like that, even if they're a little bit, one, two, three, than to have all these people that you've brought to the church because you praise them, because you don't tell them about their sins, you don't tell them what they're doing is wrong. He goes, no. That's the first appetizer. You're feeling hungry now? Let's see. Let's go to the next one. I'm going to read that exact thing, the Gospel of St. John. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then there's more, I just skipped a bit. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard teaching. This is difficult. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They didn't like his words. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and we are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, when a priest or the bishop preaches in church, Christ is enlightening people. Christ is moving people. He's softening them. You just have to say the truth. Instead of saying, I calculate and say, I will do it this way because people will get offended. There are people, I've, I've spoken to priests, and when you speak to them, they go, oh, but people might get offended. Oh, and then, but, and then, it's this, then it's, uh, yeah, maybe that will be okay. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. This, and I just say, oh, look, I can't listen to you. It's too much for me. Doesn't mean you're going to go there like a gladiator with a sword and, a, and start attacking people with love and proper, but you've got to tell them, listen, fellow Orthodox Christians, you cannot send your children to Catholic schools and Protestant schools. You can't do that because it's against the canons. The saints died not to listen to the creed being said with the, and I believe in the Holy Spirit who persists from the Father and the Son. They died not to have that. And you send your kids and they go, I believe in one God, the Catholic. Catholic, 
Creed is the same except for the part. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. That's heresy. And when you send your kids, that's what they're saying. But, but they're going to get a better education. God doesn't bless it. Because you didn't trust him and you trusted Pope and his schools. So it won't be blessed. Point of fact, I haven't seen many people that have gone to those schools that have actually succeeded. Maybe they're there, I don't know. Maybe some, some but I've seen more from state schools, big doctors and, and uh, uh, solicitors, etc. The third appetizer, St. Paisius. Even the most serious fall of the children shouldn't make parents desperate, for sin has become fashionable in our time. So he's saying to parents, even though you see your children fall into big sins, drugs, maybe sexual sins, etc., he says that shouldn't make parents desperate, like full of anxiety. They should always keep in mind the following. Nowadays, young people will be granted certain extenuating circumstances and will be judged with leniency for their transgressions. Extenuating. What's that? I'll just leave it and move on so I can show off to you and you say, wow, he knows big words. I'm so impressed. What's that going to do for you? Do you know what it means? Some of you don't know what it means. Probably the majority of you don't know what it means. But what am I going to do? Impress you that I know big words? No, I don't like that. So we have the definition. Definition of extenuating circumstances describes the specific reasons that excuse or justify someone's bad actions, making it seem less serious. For example... Although John missed three important training sessions at baseball, there were extenuating circumstances so he was not dismissed from the team. It is even used in law to lessen punishment for crimes. It's called mitigating circumstances. If you hit someone with a car, you can be um, prosecuted and sentenced for manslaughter. Negligent, for example. But there's mitigating circumstances. The person had a heart attack and hit the person. That's a mitigating circumstance. Someone does a crime, but then they look at the person's upbringing, whether they're abused, etc. Mitigating circumstances. So the judge can lower the sentence They've got a range, so certain crimes, it might be they can sentence them from two to six years. He can either do two or six. And they might say, well, because of all these circumstances, I can see it, I'm going to lower it to two. Or he sees someone else who's a small brat, who was brought up in a family, who had money, he had an opportunity. Why did he have to do that crime? And then he doesn't see any remorse, any repentance in the person, and he gives him six years. See? So St. Basil says in the times that we live in, parents have to understand that children will be falling into serious sins, but they will be judged with leniency for those sins by God. He won't be as harsh on them, if at all, sometimes, because they didn't know, because of the way the world is, etc. Mental illness, 
some people were taught from young to, to do things like that. Today, says St. Paisios, a grade of seven for conduct is the equivalent to the ten excellent of our school days. So he's saying that in his school days they got one to ten for conduct. So he says someone who's got a seven now is just as good as someone who had a ten in the old days. Because in the old days, society was, to, was geared towards respect and good behaviour, etc. While time went on, it deteriorated so much that it became normal to be rude, to be disobedient. It's normal. So he says if someone even gets a seven for conduct, it's like a ten in the old days. Now, I want to change that a bit. St. Paisius passed away in 1994. He may have said this in the 80s. Who knows when he said that? In the 80s. But even if he said it in the 90s, just before he died, because we don't know some of these teachings, where they come from, what, what part of his life, I would say that a grade for conduct of two today could be the same as a 10 in the old days. Because even in his days, it wasn't as bad as it is now due to the internet. Children being exposed to pornography, those things were very difficult in the old days. These things, sin, people couldn't sin as easily and things were different and now it's just completely crazy. So he said in his days a seven's the same as a ten and I would say to you now even a two, even a kid that's a little bit, little bit good can be in God's eyes like a ten in the old days because of the society and the way everything is, it makes them really hard. That's exceptional. For example, let's have a look. Not having sexual intercourse before marriage. Years ago, that was kind of, you know, people did that. Now, hardly no one does that. They call you sick. You're not hip. You're not, you're not in with it. You can't be a virgin because they'll make fun of you. So you're pressured whether you want or not Children are pressured to have sexual relations so they won't be called a virgin. Not looking at pornography. Even girls do it now. Less, but they still do it. A high percentage of them still do it. And very young. And look at really disgusting things. Back in the old days, there was a couple that did that. Few that got their hands on them. Now, click, click, click on the internet. It's all there. Not being involved in the occult. You had to know where they were, where the magician was, and when you were young, you wouldn't probably you wouldn't go. Um, it was difficult. I mean, if you really wanted to go, you find somewhere, but you might have been in the village, there was none there. You might have to go to town, might have been too far. They never had cars back in the old days. A lot of the villages, you're going to go on your donkey, what to the magician? And yet today, it's everywhere. TV, radio. They have mediums on TV. Back even in the 60s or 70s in America, they used to have these mediums speaking and all that, and they used to put glasses of water on the TV. I don't understand the significance, but they thought that they'll get their powers and they'll get better. It's on the radio now. People ring up and say, oh, tell me about myself, and they go, well, you're this, you've got this. All this stupidity is easy now. It's just part of society. Before, people knew that was bad. And if you did it, you kind of knew 
you're doing something wrong because the church was against it, etc., etc. Now, because the church doesn't even hardly speak about it, that's another bad thing. Now, it's part of life. A lot of Orthodox kids and adults don't even know that it's bad. Harry Potter books, Twilight books about vampires, all these movies, girls being influenced by feminism. Before girls had this thing, they're going to get married, have children. Now, you're going to get married and have children. You leave that. You don't do it early. You've got to do it, on, you know, when you're at least on the pension at 60 or something. You just wait. You've got to live. You've got to do your career. That wasn't much in those days. So now for a woman to say, I'm not going to do that, it's like, wow. That's a big thing. Couples not committing adultery. It's just there. There's all websites about it to, to meet people and have sex. Not having an abortion before you had to find someone in the back alley, wherever they were. You had to hear it, trying to get, find out where they were, things like that. And it was difficult. People didn't know. Some people found out. Plus, people had an idea in those days that abortion's bad. There's still people like that, but not much. And yet today, you can go during your lunch break at work. Not taking contraception. Even when contraception came out, people had an idea, is this good? No. You know, but now, they encourage it at schools for girls to take contraception. Leaving couples to leave themselves to, have, to be free to have children, whatever God wants, for example. Is that done? No, I'm going to have the average, 1.8, whatever it is. Not sending kids to heterodox schools, I said that. Not going to magicians, not doing false insurance claims, tax invasion. It's all part of life now. Before it was like you used to be a bit scared. Oh, should we go against the government? And, and there was a bit of fear. But now it's part of life. So therefore, when someone does something like that, this is big in God's eyes. This is a big thing. St. Paisio says... Of course, parents will always try to help their children, but they mustn't be overly anxious. Of course, you're going to be anxious. You can't be, like, dead if your child's on drugs. You're going to be anxious. What does overly anxious mean? Well, let's have a look. Children will get more sensible and experienced with time. Right now, they may not understand what is good because their minds have not yet matured. So you have to understand that with your children, that you're not speaking to adults. You're speaking to silly they're silly, they're not mature. Even if they're 20, they cannot be mature as well. Their mind is cloudy and it lacks the ability to discern the danger that lies ahead and the irreparable damage they can suffer. They don't understand consequences. Like a neighbour of mine, I had some friends, and one of them bought a motorbike. I was only 16 at the time, he must have been around 18. And um, he went and did some racing with other motorbikes. Lost control, got hurt, went to the hospital. A few days later, he died. But an older person was saying, you know, I could slip. It could be a rock on the road. I could just lose it. Kids don't think. You've got to understand that as well. Parents have to understand that. And the overly anxious, we're going to answer that during the talk, what it means by 
Um, you can be anxious, but not overly anxious. How is one overly anxious? We'll see. Now, the next appetizer, number four. St. John, Father John Christiankin, the Russian elder that died in 2006, very famous in Russia, he says, No, your son came into God's world as pure, unsown soil, except for perhaps some genetic weeds that might have shown up insignificantly in infancy. But the infant has grown up, and you and the school and society have sown their seeds in him. So, I don't know what this person was complaining about, wrote a letter to him, but he says, when a child comes into the world, they come in the world pure, etc., etc., except for some genetic weeds, which we've already explained that before, from heredity. They're born with some certain thing. Now, he says they're insignificant. I said a while ago that they're significant. So then I got confused when I read them. I go, oh, because I made a big emphasis that you've got to be... Yeah, when they're young, you don't even notice what they are. How are you going to know when the baby's that age at the back? How are you going to know that that child's going to have jealousy or pride or laziness? You don't know. So they're pretty insignificant when they're young. But as they grow up, obviously, you've got to work on those. But also you have to understand as parents that you as parents have influenced the child the school has influenced the child and society has influenced the child. So the child becomes a product of genetics, the parents, school, society in general. Parents have to understand that kids have been pressured a lot and a lot of parents don't understand that. They don't have that empathy and they go too much negative of the kids. Now, says Father John, now you see the result it's impossible for a man to deal with the sorrows of life and his own passions all by himself. While our young people have heard about God only recently and not all of them are capable of accepting what they have heard. It took me a while to read this. What does he mean? Now you see the result. I understand that. The person's gone off. It's impossible for a man to deal with the sorrows of life. I think what he meant was is that the, this boy who's a man has grown up and he can't take the sorrows of life and he doesn't know how to deal with the passions in him. Why? It says he can't do this all by himself, meaning, brackets, without God. Why? Because people never heard of God or heard of God, of, about God recently. This is in Russia. Recently. And, and many of these are not capable of accepting what they're hearing now especially because they weren't brought up from young. So they're hearing about God, for example, as the church was being freed, but many of those kids weren't accepting it. But the whole point is, what Father John's trying to say, is that when a person doesn't have God, how does he deal with the sorrows of life? How does he deal with his passions or her passions? So you have to understand that as parents, about or even about yourself, even if you're single, we are all products of... Our parents, society, school. And you might say, but I'm in the church, therefore I will be able to go through the sorrows of life and to deal with my passions. And yet I tell you that the majority of people that I deal with, about 90% have no idea how to turn to God for help in their sorrows and how to turn to God to help them with their passions, even though they're religious. That's another problem. 
he continues on, pray for your son. God hears a mother's prayers. My prayer is only an aid to yours. A while ago, I said that a mother's prayer is very powerful. I even said something like, I, th I believe even more than the saints' prayers. And I said that, but kind of I wasn't, that was one of those things I wasn't sure of again. And yet, Father John, who was a holy man, says to this woman, my prayers, and it will help for you. Your prayers, God listens to especially. I'm a priest now for 28 years with God's help. I was ordained 28 years ago, or 27, something like that. I have been given the grace to serve liturgy and change the bread and the wine into the body and blood because I have ordination, priesthood. Parents don't understand that they also have like an ordination. I shouldn't use that word, but they also have special grace that's been given to them. From the time that they became parents, God has given parents this special grace to take care of their children, to pray for their children, and to do miracles for their children through their prayers. And the people don't understand that. A mother is like a priest in a way for her own family. Like a priest stands in front of the altar and God listens, as I say, from the priest's mouth to God's ears, direct. Even when you go to an off priest, as soon as he opens his mouth, have mercy on us, O God, according to that mercy, again we pray for mercy, life, peace, health, salvation, visitation, pardon, remission of the sins for the servant of God, whoever he's praying for, say Maria, and for the, for the forgiveness of every transgression, both voluntary and voluntary. When the priest speaks, from his mouth to God's ear, that's what priesthood is. The priest connects mankind to God. You cannot go to God without the orthodox priesthood. How about the others? Don't worry about them. God will take care of them. How about a Catholic priest? Don't worry about them. If you care about them, God cares about them infinitely times more than you. So, the same with the mother. The mother has that grace when she stands in front of the icon and prays for her children, she opens up heaven and God listens to her because of the special grace that they receive from the time that they're married, where in the marriage prayers it says, and bless them and bless them to produce the children and things like that. So that's why he says, God hears a mother's prayers. God hears, not God may hear, God hears a mother's prayer. My prayer, Father John says, is only an aid to yours, a supplement, a little, you know, a little help. Strange things are happening in our society. In one family, the Lord and faith enter the house through the children, like in Russia, like even here. The parents could be not, not even believe much. And the kids 
become Orthodox or turn to the church. I'm talking about even Greek families, Russian families. Could be parents not going to church at all. And then the children convert, and that helps the parents to convert. While in other families, it says, the devil uses the children to uproot the faith from families. You know, strange things are happening in our society. In one family, the Lord and faith enter the house through the children, while in the others, it's through the children that the enemy breaks through the door. But one must not lose faith in God. God is mighty and powerful. He can even cleanse the leper. But we must have great patience and toil. Now, he can even cleanse the leper. How can a leper get better? If you know what leprosy is from the old days, leprosy was that the person's fingers started falling off. They started losing parts of their body because it was a horrible disease. Well, once you lose your finger, you've lost it. So he's saying that Christ healed lepers. And not only did he heal them, he didn't heal them where it was a gradual healing process, which happens a lot. And people can say, oh, it wasn't the priest that came and read that person. It was that the person got better naturally, the body. But when Christ made someone better, it was straight away. And they got their fingers back, their toes back, etc. And he's saying, as much as that's a miracle, that's as much if people, parents have faith that God can do miracles for their children when you think things are impossible, it's finished, there's no way it can happen. But, he said, parents have to have patience. Patience in what? Patience in suffering, patience in waiting for God's help, and toil. Toil means what? Struggle. Prayer and enduring suffering. I think I said that already. Okay. Another letter from Father John. D in the Lord G. I'm fulfilling your request for prayers for you and your daughter. May your heart not be burdened from the trials sent down upon you. Again, he's saying that thing. Don't become over anxious. Don't become overburdened. Don't be crushed with the afflictions that you're going through. In this case, her daughter. Something was wrong with her daughter. I think she was sick. And he says, may your heart not harden. Oh, so I didn't read it properly. May your heart not harden from the trials sent to you. So this is what happens. When we go through trials, whether you're married or not, the following can happen. You either become hard. If you become hard, you're not asking God for help or other people. Hopeless, burdened, crushed. What use are you going to be for your children, for example, if you're crushed on the ground when they have problems? They need you there. Pray for your daughter. Think about whether or not your mistakes might have played a part in what is happening to her. This is a big problem. Many parents refuse to admit that their mistakes, the mistakes they made with their children as they were bringing them up, is the reason why their children are messes now, have problems. So 
So we continue on. Yes, parents must condemn themselves. Even couples, if, say, someone's having problems in their marriage, you can't blame the other person. You've got to say, what, what part did you have in that? Even if that person's committing adultery, you can say, maybe I made him or made her do that. Back to parents. So he says, think about whether or not your mistakes might have played a part in what is happening to her. Then prayer will be easier and your relationship will smooth out. That one was, was very good. So he says, when you start admitting your mistakes, that you made mistakes with your children, you'll be able to pray better and your relationship with them will improve. It will smooth out. Because a lot of parents who made mistakes, don't admit it, can't pray for their children because they won't admit it. So how can you pray when you're, not, when you're not humble? And at the same time, their relationship with their children is disgusting, is horrible. But as soon as a parent says, God, forgive me, I made many mistakes and has sorrow, even can apologise to the children, if they're, you know, you should apologise. And you'll notice that your humility will make the relationship, which is a lot of times hostile with your kids, better. I have this problem with a lot of parents who made a lot of mistakes with their kids, and yet some of these parents regret like Judas, but they don't repent. See, Judas regretted what he did. Regret is different to repent. Regret is, I shouldn't have done it, look what's happened. Repent is, God forgive me for doing this. So Judas didn't repent. He regretted and he hanged himself. Peter repented that he denied Christ three times and he was saved. So a lot, of, a lot of people don't repent. They intellectually say, oh yeah, I made some mistakes. That's it. No, that's not enough. That's not going to work. Let's go now to the sixth appetizer. It's like we're at a party. St. Ambrose of Optina, who lived in the time 1812 to 1891 over 100 years ago. To a mother who grieved over her son's atheism and rebelliousness, rebelling, who was disobedient, Father Ambrose wrote to this mother, you know that you yourself are in many ways guilty in that you did not know how to raise your son as you should have. Self-reproach -re is profitable. What does self-reproach mean? What does St. Ambrose mean by that? Condemning yourself. Condemning yourself with repentance is beneficial for you, he said, but with it you must be aware of your guilt. I didn't understand what that means. If they're already condemning themselves, what's it mean by being aware of your guilt? And it took me a while to understand. But I read the whole thing. Self-reproach is profitable. Put yourself down. But with it you must be aware of your guilt. Humble yourself and repent and not be distressed and in despair. So we've got to humble ourselves, like I said before, repent, 
not go into over-anxiety. Say, I made a mistake, God forgive me. What's the aware of your guilt mean? If you're already repenting, aren't you aware of your guilt? And what it means is, be aware of your guilt. Take responsibility for what you've done. You can repent and be sorry. I had a father once who, he was horrible to his kids, and he goes, I was a bad father. Okay, that's good. I was a bad father. I said, okay. When his children would react with him, because he was a bad father in the past, they had this negative reaction. They didn't like him. And he would say, why are they reacting like that? Why don't they like me? Why do they squash up their faces when they see me? He's not taking responsibility. You did that. He, see what I mean? You've got to take it. When you see your children in the state, when you see them rude towards you, when you see them antagonistic towards you, when you see them not listen to you, etc., treat you horribly, disdain you, are repulsed by you even, you've got to say, I did that. It's not enough to say, God, forgive me for being a bad mother. Cheap words. Cheap words. But show fruits of repentance. What's the fruits of repentance? To say, their behaviour is because of what I did. Okay, neither should you be over-troubled by the thought that you only are the unintentional cause of your son's present condition. He says, yes, take responsibility, repent, etc., but don't say now it's all your fault. He goes on to explain, yes, you were ignorant, Yes, you didn't know much. You made mistakes. You can see the consequences. But don't keep on saying, oh, it's 100% my fault. St. Ambrose continues. This is not altogether true. Every person has been given the gift of free will and must answer for himself or herself before God. So I'm dealing with a 20-year-old, say, young lady who was brought up atrociously, etc., and it's all the time how they brought me up, how they brought me up, they brought me up, they did this, look at the way I am, I've got all these problems, it's because they brought me up like that, they brought me up. and I said, you shouldn't have that, and goes, but it's because of them, it's because of them, and I said to her, without reading St. Ambrose, I said, you're now old, you're older now, yes, you are what you are from your parents, but now you've got your free will to improve, to move on, to ask God for healing, but instead she just sits there, in a spinning, her mind spinning around and around and around what they did to me. A child that was brought up badly will have, as we said before, they won't be condemned as much because it wasn't their fault. But when they become adults, they've got to take some responsibility. What are you going to do about it? We have so many saints who were abused, like Saint Theophil, the Russian, the fool for Christ, whose mother hated him and thought he was a freak, and she tried to drown him, but he didn't drown, and she tried to kill all these things, and uh, he was abused badly, and yet he became one of the greatest saints in the Russian church, an abused person. I used to have that. I think I've told you before. So when you come to the church and you start leading a spiritual life and the spiritual eyes begin to open, you go, what is that? 
Before that, you don't know. You're completely like spiritually dead. Then I began to notice, wow, look at that. I've got pride, I've got this, I've got um, anger, I've got irritation, I've got all these passions in me. And then I said, this is from my parents. They never brought me up. They never said anything to me. And I was just thinking about it and thinking about it and feeling sorry for myself. It's all their fault, it's all their fault. They did this, they did this, this and that. So I was going along Bondi Beach and I was going for a walk in my depression. This is when I just first came to the church. So I was just walking around, depressed, and then I said, then something just came to me and I go, what a second, but if they brought you up wrongly, weren't they also brought up wrongly? And plus then it hit, hit me, weren't the saints, many saints were brought up prostitutes, etc., etc. They were brought up in cults of magic and disgusting practices and yet they became holy. And I thought to myself, no, leave the parents out. Go forward and start to struggle and make what you're going to make of yourself without always going back and saying, woe is me, my mother didn't breastfeed me for more than three months or something like that. That's bad, you know, it's good to be breastfed for five years. But if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. As a result, you might be cold. You might have some problems. Move on, move on. And that's why, Elder Paisos, I read this often because I don't want you to fall into despair where a person asked the elder, Elder Paisios, some parents who began leading a spiritual life at an advanced age regret they didn't give their children a Christian upbringing when they were young. And the saint answered, so he says, a person says, some parents weren't Christians when they were, when they were bringing up their children. And they become more, they go to church after they repent, change their life, but it's too late. The children are gone. They're already grown up. And they, then they realise, I did major disasters with my kids when they were young. And the saint answers, if they have true repentance and beseech God to help their children, God will do something for them. He will throw their children a lifesaver to help them escape the storm that they're in. Yes, the children are now grown up. They might not be church kids. I mean, they could have their own children. But they're a mess. They're a whole thing. They're not because they you didn't bring them up properly. And he says, firstly, repent. See, if the parents have true repentance, number one, then ask God to help them. Then God will help those children. And the next one, which I have read a number of times, and I'm just going to read this all the time because I don't want you to walk away and think to yourself, "Oh, this is bad. This is bad for us." Or become despairish. He says, children pay for the mistakes their parents make. Some parents destroy their children, but God is not unjust. He has great and special love for those children who have been wronged in this world, either by their parents or by others. When parents are the reason why children take the wrong path in life, God will not abandon them, for they are entitled to divine help. God will provide so that the children are helped. For example, we see... Some young persons, even older children, suddenly turn their lives around, like even though they weren't brought up in the church. Many of us weren't brought up in the church. All of a sudden, we changed. So it says, God is not unjust. And those children that have been abused or not brought up properly, etc., they're entitled to divine help. God is obligated to help those children. 
if they take that help, that is. Elder Sebastian of Optina, I think he passed away around 1960-something. This is from his life. It says, Elder Sebastian reprimanded ungrateful children, reminding them of their parents' cares, their labour, their love, their sleepless nights spent by their bedside during times of illness and their fear for the life and health of their children. What's that got to do with everything now? I'll tell you. Even though some of you could be adults, you could be ungrateful. You might say, well, my parents never brought me up Christian. That's all that counts. No. Did they labour for you? Did they, you know, stay up when you were sick, during your illness? Did they have care for your life, for your health, etc.? See how we went through that list? Didn't mention anything spiritual. Even on the human level, kids should be grateful. Then he said, the Lord deprives such children of happiness. That when children are not grateful to their parents, even for little things, then God will not give those children, whether young or adults, happiness. Now, the reason why I tell you this is because you need a lot of times to tell your children those things. When they're ungrateful, and they simple, no screaming, no shouting, no going crazy. You just say to them, listen, you've got to know, it says in the Bible, honour thy father and mother that thou mayest live long on the earth. Honour your father, honour your mother, so that you can have a long life on earth, a blessed life, a happy life. And the saint, Sebastian, would mention as examples those children who honoured their parents during their lives and prayed for them after their deaths. It's not enough just to honour them when they're alive, but also to take care of their souls when they go by praying for them, putting their names into liturgies. And he says, those children I like. Those are the children we should imitate. And you should tell your children those type of things. And I'm not going to listen because... You tell them the truth and let God work in them. You don't know. Remember I've told you before, I've spoken to people years ago, when I was younger, and I did talks, and someone speaks to me later on, and they say to me, when I came to your talk, I was around 15. I always still remember, even though now I'm 25, whatever, I still remember your words. Even though that person went through drugs and sex before marriage, etc., etc., I remember your words. The same as your children. When you tell them, because you're ungrateful, because you treat me like poop, you treat me horribly, you're not going to have a blessed life. They might go, eh, who cares, whatever. But when they start getting older and they see their life topsy-turvy, they're going to say, I remember those words. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe this is why I'm going upside down. This is maybe why my business didn't go well. Maybe this is why my marriage fell apart. Maybe because I'm cursed. Go back and repent to the parents and say, thank you. St. Sebastian, he would sometimes say, why do some people suffer, become ill, endure sorrows and offences, etc., almost all of their lives, 
And there's a point to that. You say yourself, some kids, adults, suffering, suffering, problems, illnesses, sorrows, people offending them, whatever. He says, why? Why do those people uh, suffer like that? There could be a number of reasons. Some of you might say, maybe because they did sins. Maybe because they haven't repented. Could be. But look, look what he says. Because of the sins of their parents and grandparents. These sufferers are like a living sacrifice offered up to pay for the sins of their parents and grandparents. So, for example, if your grandparent or great-grandparent did some big sin, like murdered someone, who knows? That's passed down. A lot of times those, those things are passed down. And sometimes it skips generations. So let's, let's just say the grandfather committed a murder, say. And then his son or daughter, whatever, doesn't suffer because of that sin. That happens sometimes. Sometimes it does. But it might be their children suffer because of the grandparents. And what St. Sebastian is saying is that God allows these people to suffer so that those sufferings can grant forgiveness of sins to their parents or grandparents. In other words, our sufferings could be, we don't understand why, like we might have a mental illness and we're tormented with this mental illness. Why? Why? There's no mental illness history. Why? What's going on? Because it could be your parents or it could be grandparents, great-grandparents. Along the line, someone could have done something wrong and now you're suffering. But why should I pay for them? Okay, I'll tell you a story. A monk told me this story. I was at a place in Greece near the sea. I had a like, little monastery. Beautiful. Didn't appreciate it at the time, but now thinking about it, crystal clear, it was on the island of Corfu, Kerkira. And it was there, it was really nice. They, had, they even had a little, like a little beach that was part of the monastery's property. Anyway, so I was speaking to this monk and I said to him, why? The famous why? Why this? Why that? Why this? Why does that happen? Why is this? Why is it? Because I was in a young in the faith. And I'll try to remember the story. It was really good, and I'm trying to remember it now. A man was travelling on a horse. He was like a miser, a greedy person, and he stopped. And meanwhile, there was someone that was there. So the man got down from his horse, and as is usual with people that are greedy, they like looking at their bank accounts and that, he took out his money and started counting it because they, they, they get enjoyment out of doing that. And then he put the gold or whatever he had, the money, back in his pocket, and what happened, it dropped. So he rode off. Meanwhile, the person that was behind the tree saw it, picked up the money, the person was gone, he left. Then 
another person came to the same spot and was resting. Meanwhile, the, the greedy man stopped again to get his fix of counting the money again. So he took it out. Where's the money? He, couldn't, he didn't know what happened. So he goes, I must have dropped it. So he rides back on his horse and he finds this man there and he says, where's my money? He goes, I haven't got your money. He goes, no, you've got my money. Where's my money? Where's my money? And killed him. Then the monk said, why did all that happen? He goes, let me explain. See if I can remember it. The man who got killed had murdered someone years ago. God allowed him to be killed so he can be saved. The man who found the money was unjustly treated and he was poor and that money helped to save his family. Remember, he didn't steal the money. The guy left, so he picked it up. And the person who did the murder repented for doing the murder and became a monk and was saved. So, in God's plan, every single one of those people were benefited and saved. Even though there was all these bad things happening. So, the man that killed the man became a monk and was saved. The man that got killed had killed someone, so God allowed him to be killed so that he can be saved. And the man that found the money had been robbed or stolen Someone took money from him, and that helped him as well. All fitted together. And that's what happens in the world today. But we don't understand that. So you might say, that person is suffering mental illness because of something that grandpa did. That's really unfair. But then if we go to paradise and see this person, say that person died now, suffered all their lives because of the sin of the grandparent. Then we ask him, who's in paradise now, you suffered all those years. You didn't have a chance to live your life. You suffered because of him. He did the sin. And what does the person say? What do I care? I'm saved. I'm going to be here for eternity. Only on earth I'm going to be if I was going to make maybe the most I can make is 100 years old maybe. Because, but now I'm going to be in paradise. And if I had a chance, I'd go back to earth and suffer again and again and again and again. As long as I get into heaven forever. See, but we look at things in the wrong way. But why should we suffer because of the grandparents? That's why. Now, I have an idea. I haven't found this. My own idea. I've got to tell you when it's my idea, when it's not. I thought to myself, perhaps if you want to alleviate our sufferings, Maybe it is something to do with the grandparents or parents. Commemorate them. You see, our sufferings can help them receive forgiveness, but also if we commemorate them in the liturgy, 40-day liturgies, during those liturgies, they're receiving forgiveness of sins. So those sins are being forgiven, which could alleviate your own sufferings. That's my own thing, because that's what happens in liturgy. You're actually praying for the forgiveness of sins of those who have departed this life. Perhaps we're paying for it, for example, because no one's commemorating those people. So our suffering is the only way they're going to be saved. 
But if we commemorate them, then they receive forgiveness, then they may not be necessary for us or for others to suffer as much. Maybe. I don't know. That's just the thing. I haven't found it anywhere. If you want it, you can keep it or throw it away. But is there any harm in commemorating our parents if they've gone and grandparents? How do we know what they've done? How do we know whether they confessed? We don't know. Have it as your aim to commemorate all your loved ones all the time. Submit their names continually for 40-day liturgies for the forgiveness of their sins. A lot of them are in Hades, as we said in talks 29 and 30. They're in Hades. And what are they doing in there? They're waiting for someone to commemorate them on earth so that they can be released from Hades through the forgiveness of sins. But the Protestants say there's no repentance in Hades. There's no repentance. That's it. Whatever you've done, you've done, they say. That's it. Done. No one's saying they're repenting. They can't repent. See how they understand? No one's saying that they're repenting in Hades. What we're saying is our prayers and the commemoration liturgy is giving them forgiveness of sins. That's not contradictory to the Bible. Commemorate your loved ones continually. When they're in Hades, you know what they say? A lot of them say, I wish, I wish one of my relatives becomes a priest. Or they say, I wish for one of my relatives to become a monk or a nun because their prayers are so strong. When I serve, when I do the service, I go back to great-grandparents, as much as I can remember, uncles, aunties, these, these cousins, whatever, they're just, just come in my mind. But why? You might say, why do you do it? It comes automatically. That's how God enlightens me, to pray for them. Even people that I met Years ago, I remember a priest, I said to a priest, can you tell me some sick people to visit because I heard you should visit sick or I don't know anyone sick. So he told me, I'll go to this woman over here, I think she was in St. Susie, and I found out she was dying from cancer. So I, I, I used to go there a few times. Didn't know what to say because I was, you know, wasn't used to those things. But I still went. Visited a man, in a, a, a Romanian Orthodox man in a, a nursing home near my house. Visited him. And what happens is in the liturgy, that name comes, his name comes, her name comes, etc. That's what you should do. But we're not priests. No, it doesn't matter. Obviously you're not priests, but you can still commemorate and give it to the priest. St. Sebastian, another one that he says, this is the 10th appetizer, and we're finished. Very big appetizers, weren't they? Father Sebastian sometimes refused to bless marriages. He says, children aren't needed for hell. Children aren't needed for hell. What does that mean? What he means is, a lot of marriages are disasters, will be disasters, and the children may end up in hell. They wouldn't bless it. He says, don't, don't, don't get married. But you said before, but... but, but some children don't make it, especially when 
the person told them, don't get married. I've got examples where you say to someone, don't get married. You can't do it. You don't have, not even the spirituality, but you don't even have, humanly, you're able to do it. You're dysfunctional. You can't do it. And yet, they do it. And then later on, they wonder why their children are sick and problems and things like that. But St. Sebastian actually refused to bless certain marriages, and he said, um, children aren't meant to go to hell, so don't get married. Now we come to the next section, section B. That was the introduction, the appetizers. Religious parents. St. Porfirio says some people make the mistake of saying, since the parents are religious and pray, they study the Holy Bible and bring up their children in the dis discipline and instruction of the Lord, that is a Christian way, it's natural that they will become good children. But nevertheless, says St. Porphyrus, we see the very opposite result. They don't become good children. They don't become good children. Even though they're brought up by religious parents that read the Bible, go to church, etc., and they try to bring up their kids and take them to Sunday schools and all these type of things, and yet those kids turn out bad. And he says, he gives the explanation. And why? On account of coercion. I've mentioned this in other talks. I'm going to mention it again a lot today. Saint Paisios and Saint Porfirios and the ancient saints that I read before, that, they were all against this coercion, this pressuring of children, forcing them to do things. This is what makes children become unbelievers to fall away from the church, etc., when you force them. Now, you might say, force them in religion. No, force them in anything. St. Paisio says, nowadays, one rarely meets parents with confidence in God. Many parents have often been heard to say, why should our children take up the wrong way of life? We go to church. But St. Paisio says, but they do not offer the screwdriver to Christ to tighten up some of the screws in their children. They want to do everything by themselves. New one, I haven't, haven't said this one before. It's the screwdriver. Have I said it before? I don't think so. What's this screwdriver? Do parents have screwdrivers? Hmm? What, what does he mean by the screwdriver? He means that some parents try to fix up the problems of their children, behavioural problems, disobedience, stubbornness, demonic, even demonic things, passions. They try to fix up these problems with their children on their own, like they've got a screwdriver and they're trying to fix up the kids. But they're not asking Christ to help them to fix up their kids. And he says at the end, they want to do everything by themselves. Obviously, you can put a bit of effort in, but a lot of parents, they put their own effort in and don't ask God for any help at all. And that's why he says that. So screwdriver is symbolic of parents trying to fix up their kids' problems on their own. The truth of the matter is, now you might say, oh, you're judging us, and I do the same. I do the same. I often try to help people fix up people's problems and I forget sometimes to say, God, you help them. So don't think I'm putting you down. So you're very, very fortunate because I make the same mistakes as a lot of you. 
I'm not looking down. I'm on the same level. St. Ambrose of Optina, at the present time, it seems more than ever before that those wishing to live piously are surrounded by all manner of difficulties and obstacles. It's, it is becoming especially difficult to raise children in a Christian spirit and according to the rules of the Holy Orthodox Church. Amidst these difficulties, there is one thing left for us to do. So he's saying, today, if you want to bring... He's talking about back in the 1800s, not the 21st century, which is, doesn't even compare. He says it's very hard to bring up children... In, the, in a Christian spirit now. So then he says, amidst these difficulties, there's one thing left for us to do, to run to the Lord God and sincerely ask for his help and enlightenment. Like I said last talk. While on our part, meaning the parents' part, we should do all that we can to the best of our knowledge and leave the rest to God's will and his providence, not getting disturbed if others do not do as we wish. So, example, when I changed, I had to change the whole family. What happened? Friction. Tried to change my father, tried this, to That's not what you do. This is from pride. This is a mistake what a lot of people do when they first change. Now, for the parents, they do all they can and say, look, this is my knowledge, this is what I know, probably some of it's wrong. However, leave the rest to God and say, you help me. And don't get disturbed if, for example, your kids don't change or even others around you don't change. Remain peaceful as much as you can. St. Paisios said parents should do all they can to help their children during adolescence and leave all that is beyond their power in the hands of Almighty God. Again, the same, the same theme. Obviously, as parents, you make an effort to help your children. But this is how it should be. This is the amount of help your children need. Now, your effort should be 5-10% and the other 90% you leave to God. You do what you can that's in your power and then whatever else you can't do, then you leave it to God. When parents entrust their children to God, then God is obligated to help on matters which are not humanly possible. When you're trying to help your child your husband or your wife or whatever, and the situation is so bad, humanly you cannot do anything. Saint Paisius is saying, leave it to God and say, okay, that's it, I can't do anything else. If your son's on, for example, drugs, you can't do anything. That's it. So you say... Humanly, I can't do anything. You now do it. And it says here that God in those situations is obligated. He's compelled. He has to do it. 
That's the spiritual law. If you go to him in situations that's impossible a lot of times, he will help you. If, for example, St. Paisio says the children are disobedient, the parents should entrust them to God and not try to pressure them in any way. Up to a certain age, you got it. Now, sometimes kids go haywire, even young, 12, 13. Sometimes you can still have them a little bit, 14, 15. But once they get 16, whatever, it can be that that's it, finished. They're not going to listen to you anymore, a lot of them. Some of them might, but a lot of them not. And he says, that's it, finish, finito, done. That's it. You can't chain them up in their rooms. You can't whip them. You can't force them. That's it. So if your daughter, for example, says to you, I'm going out tonight, and she might only be 16. You say, don't go out, it's not good, it's dangerous, etc., etc. And she's all got makeup on her and looks like a clown, and she's got a short skirt on, a low top, low top, whatever you call those things, and she looks horrible, looks more like a prostitute. And you go, what's going on? I'm going out. No, no, no please don't go, it's no good for you. So what do you do? Do you run towards her and uh, tackle her like in a football match and you grab her the legs and you get her down and you say, you're not going anywhere. And if you overweight a bit, you lie on her with your, with, with your fat body and you say, you're not going anywhere. I don't think so. That's it. Bye-bye, she just goes. And you say, what you're doing is wrong. You can't do anything. But some parents go on and on and on and on. That doesn't do anything. So what should you do as a spiritual person? You warn her, don't do it, don't do it. After she goes, you run to the room, if you can, pray all night. If you can't pray or not, then do something, do a canon, do an akathist. And say, God, you take care of her, that's it, I've, I've lost her. And blame yourself as well, because possibly you're at fault as well a little bit. And society, understand those extenuating circumstances, like I mentioned before, the society we live in, the school, the internet, all these things are there. He says, um, don't pressure them anyway. The mother should say in prayer, my Lord, my children won't listen to me. I can't do anything to help them. Please take care of them. That's the prayer of a mother. That's the prayer. That's it. What are you going to do? Or you think it's going to be help if you're yap, 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 you're dressed like a prostitute, look at the way you are, you're smoking, don't do this. Someone's going to put drugs in your, in your, in your drink or someone's going to rape you or this and that. There's bad boys out there. Yap, yap, yap. You've already said a lot of those things. You've probably already said a lot of the things. But I've got to tell them because they're going to... But it's not going to do anything. If they haven't heard you once, twice, three times, they're not going to hear you if you say it 50,000 times. They're just going to turn off and hate you more. But what should you do? Let them go? Yes, let them go. Don't say, you've got my blessing to go. But just say, it's no good. And then do what the best is. Not your yap, yap, yap. Straight to the room, pray for them. Say, Paisios, God is obligated, again, he uses the same word. God is obligated to care for children. When a child is baptised, God sends an angel for the child's protection so then the child is protected by God, by the guardian angel, and by its parents. The guardian angel is always by the child helping. The more a child grows and matures, 
the more the parents are relieved of their duties and responsibilities. And even though there is, there is God who protects the child as well as the child's guardian angel, who himself stands next to the child, constantly protecting the child, the parents agonise over their children until they become sick themselves. And although they are religious parents, they act as if there's no God, as if there's no guardian angel, in which case they actually obstruct divine intervention. Instead, they must become humble and ask for God's help, and the good God will protect the children. Let's go back to the girl dressed like the Tzula. The parents forget, yes, okay, she's going out, she looks like a prostitute, but she's got a guardian angel. And the parents act as if there's no God. Instead of saying, God, protect them, protect her, help her. Nothing happens to her. Just yap, 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 continually. And then when she leaves, then they ring up. They even ring up me sometimes. They go, just continually. I said, go and pray. Huh? Sorry, what? What did you say? Have some chop suey. What, what, what? Sorry? It's like they don't understand the language. Pray. Pray? But she's gone out. She's going to get raped. She's going to, someone's going to give her drugs. I said, but you've got to pray now. What are you going to do? You can't do anything. And he says here that these parents forget that there's a God that helps the child as well and that because of this, this craziness of the parents, they actually obstruct divine intervention. What does that mean? They obstruct God's providence. They obstruct God's grace to help their children. Because they're not asking him. They're not allowing God to help that child. I wasn't in the church when I was young. I was living a bad life. But then suddenly I changed. Why? Why? I worked it out later on. I think it was my mother's prayers. Commemorating this, etc., etc., but one thing she didn't do, which was good. She didn't nag, 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 nag. That was one good, that was a positive. The nagging. But they also didn't say not to do things, which was not good. So they made mistakes. But at least I didn't have that nagging. Yes, even my mother didn't even know much, knew that at least she could do prayers. And then I changed. So the same as you. Crying about her is not going to do anything. Go up, cry to God, ask God to help, and let God work his grace on her, or on him, or on your husband, or on your wife. That's the way you do it. Okay, 6.30 on the dot. Break. Okay, so I have another letter here of St. Ambrose of Optina. Again, I remind you, 1812 to 1891. Many years ago, but his advice, as you'll see, helps people of today. To another mother who grieved over her daughter's illness, 
the elder wrote, I have heard that you are grieving beyond measure, seeing your sick daughter's suffering. Truly, it is humanly impossible for a mother not to grieve when she sees her little one in such pain and suffering day and night. Now, we don't know the age of the child, but because I think he mentions confession at the end, so we can assume that the child is, could be seven, eight, nine, ten. We don't know. Um, but it's not a toddler, or a little bit. And he says here, humanly, it's impossible for a mother not to grieve. We make mistakes when we read the lives of saints, like when we read Saint Nectarius, where it says he cried, that he was distressed, that he was in pain over what they did to him. And I say that people have this Western Catholic type of mentality that the saints had none of those things. It's as if they were invincible. Like that's the, the idea that we have of saints, that saints do not get upset or they, they're not grieved and pained. And that's not true. It's human. Even Christ cried when Lazarus, his friend, died. But he says here, truly it is humanly impossible for a mother not to grieve when she sees her little one in such pain and suffering day and night. In spite of that, you should remember that you're a Christian who believes in the future life and the future blessed reward, not only for labours, but for voluntary and involuntary suffering. Some people say that Christianity causes depression and it's very, like, uh, negative. That you've got to remember your sins and things like that. And they forget the poor things, because they don't know. They don't forget. Some of them don't even know. That when we read the services, especially what's called the Ochtoichos, which is mostly read in monasteries, there are canons in there to the guardian angel, to St. Nicholas, certain days of the week, canons of repentance, etc. And it says, Lord, I'm sinful, I'm full of evil ways, etc., etc. But in your mercy, forgive me. And we forget about all that. So when we approach God with our sins, we grieve over our sins, which may appear negative, but then the positive is that God is so great, he forgives us. And here he's saying, yes, you're going to grieve as a mother when you see your child suffering, but you've got to remember, you're a Christian and you believe in the next life, you believe in the reward of the next life, and you believe also that the next life is obtained through labours and through voluntary and involuntary suffering. What does the labours mean? The labours mean when you fast, when you do prostrations, when you do your asceticism, labours. And the other way that we, re we receive paradise is when we suffer voluntary, when we m allow ourselves to suffer, or involuntary, when sufferings are sent to us even though we don't want them. 
he goes on. Therefore, you must not become unreasonably faint-hearted and sorrowful beyond measure like the pagans or unbelievers who believe neither in eternal blessedness nor eternal punishment. Pagans, they don't believe in the next life. Pagans don't believe in hell. Pagans don't believe in heaven. Now you might say, but pagans existed then. Are there pagans now? Of course there are. Whoever doesn't believe in eternal blessedness and eternal punishment is like a pagan. That's what makes us different. We have to understand that there is a next life. No matter how great are the involuntary sufferings of your little child, because obviously she doesn't want to suffer. These are involuntary, they're beyond her. God permitted these sufferings. You can't compare these sufferings to the voluntary sufferings of the martyrs who allowed themselves to suffer. It was voluntary. And if they do compare, then she's equal to them and will receive a blessed state in the mansions of paradise. Meaning that some people's sufferings are so great that they can be compared to the martyrs and they receive the same reward as the martyrs. By the way, you must not forget, says St. Ambrose, our twisted times in which even little children's souls are damaged by what they see and hear and therefore require cleansing which cannot occur without suffering. So in his time, he's saying that little children were being damaged. Why were they being damaged? Through society, through what they saw, bad things, bad influences. And because of that, because their souls are damaged, God permits them to suffer so they can be cleansed. Little children. Now, what can be said about now with the television, with the music, with the internet, with the pornography, with all that exists where children, little children, younger children, teenagers, etc., are being defiled. And St. Ambrose says that for the souls to be cleansed, sometimes what's necessary is for the person to suffer. But then you might say, but can't they repent? Or can't they go to confession? Can't they pray? Can't they commune? Yes, but a lot of times they don't know how to do that. They don't have access to this. Whatever. God, in his mercy, permits the sufferings to cleanse even children. Let us suppose that there was no damage to the soul. Even so, you must know that blessedness in heaven is not given to anyone who has not first suffered. This is very powerful. He says, even if someone's soul hasn't been defiled, if someone's soul has not been affected, they can't be saved without suffering. That suffering is necessary. Of course, 
everyone's soul is affected. But he's just saying as an argument, even if it wasn't, you still have to suffer. That's why orthodox Christianity is distasteful. People don't like it because it's centered on suffering and things like that. Other religions, it's on prosperity and making money, like a lot of Protestants. They say, come to our church and you'll be rich. And God will bless you and give you a lot of money and things like that. They're all that type of thing. But the Orthodox religion is centered on suffering. What's Lent that's coming up now? Lent is voluntary suffering. Suffering, you allow yourself to suffer through the fasting and things like that. And he says here, can even the tiniest infants pass into the future life without sickness or suffering? This gives us an understanding where people say, why does God allow, if he's got love, why does he allow little children to suffer? If he's full of love, why does he allow them to suffer? Answer, for that very reason, because he's full of love and he wants them to be saved. See, when we don't understand the spiritual laws, then nothing makes sense. By the way, says St. Ambrose, I do not write this way because I wish that your suffering child would die, but I write particularly for your consolation, enlightenment and true encouragement not to grieve unreasonably and beyond measure. You're allowed to grieve. Christ grieved. The saints grieved when someone close to them died but unreasonably, like beyond measure, in despair. Oh, no, they're suffering. Woe to me, woe. And go crazy. Or when your kid's got troubles or things like that. That's not what's allowed. Of course you're going to have a little, some anxiety. You're going to have pain, concern. But from the last two talks, if you remember, excessive, excessive anxiety, excessive care, etc. No, that's too much. No matter how much you love your daughter, you must know that our all-good God, who uses any means for our salvation, loves her more than you do. Spiritual law. But I love my child. I love, but God loves her or him more than you. And you missed the point there. Who uses any means for our salvation, whether it's cancer, whether it's dying from the cold or hunger or dying in a war. He uses anything he can to save us. And if we understand that, then everything makes sense. That's why sometimes when I see some programs where there might be like a Protestant type of show and they're saying there, why, Daddy, why does God allow this and that or whatever they say. Well, what did God allow mummy to die or something? And then the pastor, they even asked the pastor, well, we don't know. They say that or... I don't know to answer that question. It's continually like that. And I say to myself, I know how to answer that question. It's simple. They don't know how to answer it. All the time it's, we don't know. Oh, God's ways are... Deep. We don't understand. 
They never say this is the way to salvation because Protestants do not understand the cross that Christ, as an example himself, suffered on the cross to show us you want to be saved, you got to be crucified. That means to suffer. That to them is distasteful. So when someone dies, they go, why? What did the baby do that God allowed her to die at one month old? And then the pastor there says, I don't know. I don't know. Now, sometimes you can ask an Orthodox priest, why? I don't know. Sometimes. But the majority know. Because God uses any means for our salvation and that he loves us and our children or our family or whatever more than we love them. He himself bears witness in the Holy Scripture as to his love for every believer, saying, quote, from Isaiah 49, line 15, Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet I will not forget. He says there's more chance for a mother to forget her child, to neglect her child, than it is for me. There's no chance that I, meaning God, will forget anyone. Therefore, try to calm your sorrowing over your sick daughter. Turn this sorrow over to God. This is what the elders also say. Give your problem to God. Give your husband. Your husband's really bad. Give him to God and say, God, you help him. I can do nothing. Or for your wife. Or for your parent. Or for your child. Turn your sorrow over to God. Let him work. But if you are in despair, if you're hopeless, if you complain continually, as it said earlier on, I think it was by St. Paisios, you do not allow God's providence to work on the lives of those who you're crying about. A girl died, a daughter, someone's daughter died. And the father was grieving over his daughter, grieving, grieving, grieving. Why? And he wouldn't go out and he wouldn't even open the blinds up and it was all dark in the house and he wouldn't eat properly and just going on and on and on and on that his daughter died. That's overdone, obviously, isn't it? And then the daughter, God permitted the daughter to appear to him, which probably was her angel as her, and doesn't matter. Look, let's just say it was her. And the daughter appeared to him and says, stop it. Stop it. You're not allowing me to receive the blessedness of heaven through your constant crying and grieving. You're obstructing that. And then he woke up to himself and he started to see things in a different way. So... Yes, what St. Paisio said before. That's why I kind of hesitated. I wanted to say a bit more on it. But the food was there and I said, I can't click, I can't get anything out. So I left it and said, okay, go and eat. But what it is is that all these wrong attitudes that we've got, they obstruct 
God's grace to work. God wants one thing. He wants you to say, humanly, I've tried, I just can't do anything. I leave it to you. Once you do that, the heavens open up and God's grace flows down onto the person who you are grieving about and especially a mother's prayers. I advise you, says St Ambrose, to commune your daughter following a confession. Ask the confessor to question her wisely and carefully during the confession. He asks the mother, take it to confession and tell the priest to question her. Find out whether she's done something that is wrong. You know, help, help the child to get it out. This could be a teenager. We don't even know. Doesn't say. Turn your sorrow to God. In the last talk, I emphasised four things, or we learned four things. One, that excessive love is harmful to children. It's a sickness. St. Patience said that. Number two, the need to speak to children calmly, humbly, and with love and not to reprimand them for little small things. Also, continual reprimanding can have a negative effect when you just all the time yap, yap, yap. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that all the time, even if it's serious. However, parents who do not reprimand their children do not love their children properly. There are going to be some. But after a while, if it doesn't go anywhere, stop. We're going to learn that today. you still got to say something, but up to a certain time. When it's closed shop, when the person's blocked you, leave it. Number three, the importance of parents praying for their children and how prayer is more effective than words. Number four, the need for discernment and self-restraint. Parents need to ask God how to deal with their children, when to speak to them, when not to speak to them, how to say things, and also to have some restraint. Sometimes just hold yourself and say, I'm not going to say anything. Or, I want to show my child love. I want to buy my five-year-old a mobile phone because I love it. And I want him or her to be like everyone else, out of it. So I'm going to buy it. Restrain yourself. That's not proper love. That's what's called pathological love. Pathological means sick. It's a sickness. St. Paisio says, parents sometimes hurt their children out of the excessive love, that's from last time, they have for them. You see, if love gets derailed, then it hurts the child, chokes him. It's a type of sickness. Fortunately, some children are brave and they escape, but others, however, are destroyed. You see, even love needs a break, a measure. So love is good, but if it's not done properly, it's bad. And somebody's got to put a break, put the break on. Like, oh, my car goes really smoothly. It goes smoothly, but sometimes you've got to stop. A traffic light, or if someone's in front of you, you've got to put the brake on. So we say, oh, I love my child, I love it, and go along. But sometimes you've got to say, stop, slow down. That's not going to benefit my child. I'm going to let my child have internet in the room. Everyone else does. 
Well, why do you want to do that for? I love him or her. I want him to have what other people have got. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? You're stupid. That's what's wrong. You're actually... That is not love. Now, as I said, if the child gets older and older and older, after a while, they're not going to listen. But when you've got some control, have control. But if they're, gonna, if they're 13 or 14 and they're completely out of control, possessed, and they're going to have their internet in their room, what are you going to do? Break the door down. Disconnect the cable. Pray. So love needs restraint. And the definition of pathological involving or caused by a physical or mental disease. So in this case, pathological love is a spiritual disease. Another word for pathological is obsessive, compulsive, chronic, like long-lasting, habitual, unreasonable, illogical, persistent, craziness. And we all suffer from pathological love. We love our loved ones in a pathological way a lot of times, not in a spiritual way. If you just go on and on and on and on and on, that's not proper love. But I want them not to go on drugs. That's not proper love. St. Sebastian of Optina, who died in 1966, he often warned parents who taught their children virtually from their infancy self-will and self-love. From young, there are parents who teach their children to be self-willed, to do what they want, when they want, and to have self-love. If you've done that to your children when they're young, then you cannot do much when they get older. You taught them like that. Nowadays, children don't follow after their parents. Parents follow their children. He observed how a little boy would tug his grandmother or mother's hand, saying, let's go home, let's go outside, if only to leave the church. They're in church. And what do the parents do? Like puppy dogs, they obey. And they leave. So what he's saying is that parents do teach their children, a lot of them, self-will and self-love. I wasn't taught discipline. I was brought up self-will. Do what I want when I want. We were brought up to love ourselves. If not from our parents, from society, from the schools, from the TV, all to do with those things. Now, if we're brought up like that from young, then we're possessed with those passions. All of a sudden now, the parents are going to come along, which we're saying they're not understanding that there's these extenuating circumstances. Look at the way the child was brought up. What was its background? That's what a good spiritual father does. They sit down. How old are you? Are you married? Are you studying? Are your parents religious? Were you brought up in the church? Etc. That's what I do. And people, some people say, what a nosy priest. No, you've got to know who you're talking to so you know what to advise. If a person's brought up spiritually, properly, in a good way, and they fall into some big sin, then you've got to penance them stronger. But if a person never knew anything... 
How are you going to penance that person? They never knew anything. They weren't taught. Some kids were brought up never even known that sex before marriage is a sin or that even homosexuality is a sin or whatever. You can't have one recipe for everyone. So anyway, we're all, all of us were brought up self-will and self-love. Now, there are some parents who brag, like there was a guy I knew, and he bragged, uh, he'd go to church and he'll stand there, Russian church. Doesn't mean he was Russian, but I'm just saying, the Russian, because they stand. So he's got there and he had his three kids next to him. And they were sitting on the ground. And then certain parts, we know we've got to stand up. Be our father, the God's going, you know. Up. So tick his fingers. Up. Down. Up. People were impressed. They go, wow. Look at that. Wow. He's got, he's got this. But for the mother, for the mother, it was ah, like, like a crazy house. But for him, he had control. Well, what is that? So for the mother, they treated her worse than an animal. Didn't listen to the mother at all. But he had control and he liked that. He liked everyone looking at him. And I said to myself, that guy, I don't know what he was, what, what his job was, I said, that guy would have been a good trainer for Alsatians or blind dogs. The blind dog goes down, the blind dog goes up. Green light, the dog goes across. See? Good. But not for children. In other words, he brought up his kids like dogs. And later on, the little Alsatians got tattoos, earrings, Drugs. What happened to the Alsatians? Do we see? Because that discipline wasn't proper. It was forced. And he never asked God once. God, help me to make my children to be obedient. No, I don't need to ask. I can do it on my own. So he produced Alsatians, which later on became wolves. They converted like a movie, you know, some of these scary movies, they convert, so they're Alsatians, then something happens, maybe the moon comes out, and then those Alsatians turn into wolves. And they go around and rip people apart. That's the scary movie. The elder, Elder Sebastian of Optina, reprimanded parents many times for their excessive love for or attachment to their children, which reached the point that the parents were just about ready to pray to them instead of God. Isn't that disgusting? And there are parents like that. Look, when the child walks in, it could be 15, it's like, like, oh, here comes um, Arthur or something, or here comes Martha. Yeah, what about it? Don't say anything. Don't do this, don't do that. Be careful of this, be careful. They're scared or they actually have them as gods. So this actually is in agreement with what we read in the last talk about the excessive love, which we heard excessive love, I think, was from St. Porfirios and St. Paisius as well, and many other saints. So even in Russia, they knew that this was a sickness. That's not love, that's pathological love. 
Now, summary of the last talk, Elder Epiphanius. I'll read it quickly because we've got to move on. Speak more to God about your children rather than to your children about God. Remember that boy I told you about when I, down in Melbourne, went to Melbourne one day and the father would say, come here. Come here. Yes, as a kid would sit, sit there. What would Christ say at this and that? And he understand and took it all nice and sweet and, and the child was just like, I knew I could tell that the child was not listening. It was like in one ear out the other. Do you understand? Bulakim. That means you know, my little my little child, my little bird, whatever they called him, you know. And he goes. Now, me as a teacher, I would say, so what did I say? Which I do that. Because you say, Do you understand? Yeah. Okay, so what did I say? Uh um uh uh I don't know, don't remember. Number two, for the correct Christian upbringing of your children, few words, plenty of examples, and more prayer are necessary. More prayer, less words, plenty of examples, meaning your own examples, parents, and more prayer. That's for the correct Christian upbringing of children. Number three, the soul of the adolescent, this is all Elder Epiphanius Todoropoulos, who died in 1989. The soul of the adolescent is an explosion of freedom. That's when the child begins to understand, I've got my own will. Why should I listen to the parent? For this reason, it receives various counsels with difficulty. It doesn't listen. So instead of advising him constantly and scolding him every so often, throw the weight of your effort to the following. So instead of yap, 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 continually, he says, do the following. Present the problem to Christ, to the mother of God and to the saints, and ask them to give the child wisdom, to enlighten the child. St. Paisios, what did we learn in the last talk? Parents must pray to Christ and the Theotokos to protect their children. Number two. It would be good if the parents indicated to the child that they do get upset over unacceptable behaviour, but they mustn't become overbearing, and of course, they should continue to pray. Prayers spoken with pain are effective. So I tell parents, when the child does something bad or something that hurts you, you say, I was hurt by that. Now some can say, oh, as if it's going to listen. How do you know if it's going to listen or not? You might think it's not listening, but I might get guilty later on. It doesn't matter. Do God's commandment. Say, what you did hurt me. But not like, what you did hurt me. Beast, animal, pig, devil. No, say, and by the way, when I'm saying these things, don't say, oh, you're putting us down again. I make the same mistakes. I've called people names too. You know, sometimes, why? Sometimes I forget. Turn the problem to God. See, you're lucky that you got me doing the talk. I understand. Because I've got to help people too. It's the same thing. But you didn't give birth to them. It doesn't matter. I give birth spiritually. That's more painful. When you're helping someone come into the spiritual life, it's like you're giving birth. 
And as much as a lot of you women suffered, well, the spiritual father suffers when they're giving birth. When they're making a person spiritual, that's like giving birth. And when you're giving birth to the child in the hospital, it's, it's painful, physically painful. When a priest gives birth to a person, whether an adult, child, whatever, it's painful mentally, spiritually. They get attacked by demons because the demons don't want the priest to help that child or that person. The more the priest helps the person to come to Christ, the more the priest is attacked. Why do you think priests don't do it? Why do you think a lot of times priests don't help many people? Instead, they organise Kris Kringles and little dances and other little stupidities because they don't get attacked. I remember a priest told me once, he said that he was helping a person and the person must have been responding, must have been really changing their life. And I said, what happened? He goes, I started choking. I lost my breath. I thought I was going to die. What do you mean? He goes, as I was confessing the person, my throat closed. Now, some people that are logical say, well, maybe that priest had an anaphylactic shock. Maybe he ate peanut oil before confession. No. This is a spiritual thing. Priests get attacked when they bring people to repentance to Christ to the church to change their lives. It's easy to put a Christmas tree in the middle of the hall and get kids to jump around the Christmas tree. Are you going to get attacked? No way, Jose. No way. Or do a little play, even if it is of the nativity of Christ. Are you going to get attacked? No, but that's spiritual. What spiritual is this? To help the child, the adult, to change their ways, to stop their sins, to repent and come to Christ. That is painful for the devil. That's when all hell breaks loose. Take it, whatever you want to do with it. Um, it would be good if the parents indicated to the child that they do get upset over unacceptable behaviour, but they mustn't become overbearing, and of course, they should continue to pray. Prayers spoken with pain are effective. Pain. Pain. God, please, please, my child, it's in danger. She's going out tonight. She's only 16. She might get raped. And express your pain to God to Christ, to the mother of God, to the saints, and say, you help. That prayer opens the heavens. And as Father John Christiankin said, that my prayers are not as powerful as your prayers as a mother. But he's a priest, yes. But that's what he said, and I believe it. And I said that once, many, a uh, couple of, I don't know when I said it, somewhere a few years ago, and I said that, I said, I think that the mother's prayers are, are powerful, even more than the saint's prayers. And I, when I said, I go, oh, am I going to get in trouble for this? I let it go. So far, the things I've let go have come out true.
I'm not saying that to brag, because it is fearful to say something which can be wrong. Like what I said earlier on, pray if you're suffering, which we don't know. Is my mental illness, for example, because I've got mental illness too, we all got mental illness, but is my problem that I'm having sins of my mother, sins of my father, my grandparents, there's four of them? Who? Could be anything. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. We'll find that in the next life. However, I'll commemorate them. And maybe those commemorations will not only help them, will also alleviate some of my own sufferings, which are because of their sins. But we don't know a lot of these things. So don't go make assumptions. My, my child's paralysed because of my father. I know was the grandfather child. Don't start making up. Just, if you have that thing, do it simple. Go put his name in for 40-day liturgies. Then leave it alone. Saint Paisus, the last one here, I paraphrased it. The expression of love needs self-control and discernment. Discernment is especially essential in the abundant love of a mother, so that the love is not foolishly wasted. A mother has so much love for her child, it's abundant, but it needs discernment to know how to use that love. If you don't, you can destroy the child. Remember that woman that was destroying her? Was, they said the same piece was said he was a man and he wanted to leave home. And then he goes, what are you doing? You're, you're destroying him. I love him. Remember that one? I love that expression. I love him. Her love was so great, but the love was being used to destroy the child. And earlier on I said, I think it was St. Paisa said, some kids that are given excessive love, they're destroyed. And he says, uh, if they are fortunate, they leave home. Because many stayed and got destroyed. St. Ambrose of Optina, another one. To a mother who grieved over her son's atheism and rebelliousness, this is another mother. Father Ambrose wrote, in general, you should not be concerned now so much with enlightening him as with praying for him so that the Lord himself, through ways known only to him, would enlighten him. Now, when I first read this, I go, I don't understand what he means by you should be more praying for him than for him to be enlightened. It confused me. Don't we want him to be enlightened? And he says... You should not be concerned now so much with enlightening him as with praying for him. But I just said earlier on, every single saint said, we pray to God for the person to be enlightened. And now St. Ambrose says, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't worry about him being enlightened. And this is, I kind of thought to myself, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't mean I said St. Ambrose wasn't right, like some blasphemers do, we don't go there and judge the saints and say, oh, that's wrong and put ourselves as if we are the professors and that we know more than the saints. I didn't say that he's wrong. It's wrong in that I don't understand it. To me, it sounds wrong because I don't get it. There's something there I don't get. That's what we should do. Never do those blasphemies to say that, oh, the saint's wrong. There's a priest once, he was given a talk and he was talking about St. Cosmas, who I'm named after, St. Cosmas of Italia, the Greek saint. And he said, St. Cosmas said this, this, and this, but he was wrong. And he said it with such gusto, so much pride. 
that he was wrong. Maybe it was the part where he said, curse the Pope, because from the Pope, every destruction will come on earth. That's what St. Cosmas said. Oh, that was in his times because they spoke like that. They never knew they weren't enlightened like us now because we've got the internet. And because we've got the internet, we're really smart, even though we're stupid, but we're still smart. And how that happens? How can you be stupid and smart? That's what I mean. Today with the internet, all of this information, you would think that people would be like wise owls. But instead, they're stupid. That's a very harsh word to say, stupid. You're stupid, they might say to me. That's fair enough, I don't mind. I'm stupid, but I try to trust in God. While you're stupid because you trust in yourself. Think I'm better off. No, because this internet, all this information does not involve God. It doesn't. We don't ask God to help us put all this information that we learn into the correct perspective. For example, I put this talk together. I get all this information, put it all down. That's it. And there's information everywhere. What do I do with it? Like this talk, I didn't even properly connect it together until a few days ago, which is difficult for me. I go, well, how am I going to present this talk? I don't think I'm going to know what I'm talking about. It's all over the place. I've got example here, example this. Guy. How do you connect all this? So I say, well, God has to work it out. But you're an ex-teacher. You're a priest. You, this is from you. You're doing the talk. You're putting it together. You're smart. No, that's not how it works. Because if that was the case, why then other priests, when they do talks, they don't, people don't understand them a lot of times. Maybe because they don't ask God for enlightenment and let him give the talk. So, the enlightening means don't you try and enlighten him with your words, but rather pray for him so that God can enlighten him. It's the words, you know, it's Russian into English and... Anyway, but the point is, that's what he meant. He said, you shouldn't be concerned with enlightening him, but rather praying for him so that God will enlighten him. I'll read it word for word and you'll see what he meant. In general, you should not be concerned now so much with enlightening him as with praying for him. So that the Lord himself, through ways known only to him, would enlighten him. See? But at first I didn't go, but shouldn't, shouldn't he be enlightened? But I didn't understand it means sometimes when we try to enlighten people, we make a mess of it. Great is the power of a mother's prayer. Oh, was this Father John Christianka? No, this is St. Ambrose. Great is the power of a mother's prayer. Remember how blessed Augustine's pious mother's prayers drew her son out of such a depth of evil. Now, St. Augustine's mum was St. Monica. She was a saint. She was holy, yes. She went to many saints that were living in that time and asked them to pray 
for her son. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, even though they were saints. Then she went to one bishop, Bishop, maybe Ambrose of Milan, I think, I'm not sure, can't remember. And he said, God cannot ignore such tears. God cannot ignore such prayers. Something will happen to your son. And she was crying and asking God for help, etc., etc. And then he changed, became orthodox, and became one of the greatest saints in the Western Church. Yes, there are some mistakes that he made in his books, but that's not the same as a heretic where they'll fight in the church. He just made mistakes in some of his teachings. That's not important for us at this time, even though that did cause trouble because a lot of the Latin theologians took that and made up heresies and things like that. But anyway, but the point is she converted him through her prayers and she went to some of the greatest saints in the Western church who were alive at that time. So, great is the power of a mother's prayer. And as you pray for your son, pray also for yourself, says St. Ambrose to this mother who had an atheist son. When you pray for your son, pray also for yourself that the Lord will forgive you whatever sins you may have unknowingly committed. Now, what sins? What sins is he talking about? Is it sins that he, she did wrong with her son, the way she brought him up? Is it her own, her personal sins as well? It doesn't really say, I think, because I've read a lot of St. Ambrose things, I think St. Ambrose believed that when you pray, you've got to make sure you've cleansed yourself of your own sins. The more we cleanse ourselves of our sins, the more God hears us. That's why I read once in a spiritual book written by a monk on Mount Athos. It says there that the greatest help you can give to your loved ones when they die is not only when you submit their names for commemorations in 40-day liturgies, but also when you confess your sins. So when you confess your sins and you cleanse your soul, then God will listen more to your prayers that you do for your loved one in the next life. And I think that's what he's meaning. He's meaning that perhaps it could mean as well the sins that you do. I don't know why you're staring at them for. They're just leaving. Wow. Like, what's the importance of it? It's two people in a pram. They've got a baby in a pram. They open the door, then they roll the baby out. This was like, I'm doing a talk here. Let's, let, let's leave that. That's okay. They've got, the, they've got the baby. So, he says, pray for your own forgiveness of your sins, committed involuntary, unknowingly, or whatever. And your prayers for your child will be even greater. So, um, I've got a example of, um, uh, there was a mother, she didn't really go to church, but she had some sort of faith that 
um, uh, her daughter was going to marry a, um, a Muslim, mm -hmm. and she was very upset about it, and that um, and that the daughter was applying for a visa for this person to come to Australia and that. Mm -hmm. And um, I heard that she prayed to just in her own way um, to Orthodox lady. Yeah, Orthodox. She had faith, but she didn't really go to church maybe. And probably never even confessed. Yeah, and um, and then she prayed to Saint Nicholas, and somehow the Australian government didn't approve his visa, and then it didn't go on. So, so the Muslim didn't come to Australia. Didn't and she didn't marry. Never, um, and that was a woman who wasn't even going to church. Yeah. So imagine how much more if somebody, if a mother is Orthodox, practicing praying for the children. Um, That's a good example. So a woman's daughter wanted to marry a Muslim, but the Muslim was overseas. So she put in an application for a visa to get this Muslim man to come over so they can get married. She was orthodox. The orthodox mother was very um, upset, obviously tried, and she was religious but didn't know much. And she decided to um, pray to St. Nicholas. And what happened was the visa was denied. Muslim didn't come over. The girl didn't get married. And imagine if she was more faithful. Imagine if she had confessed her sins, which was just said now, which makes our prayers more powerful. So when you um, confess often and rid yourself of your sins, then our prayers become more powerful. St. Porfirios now, just some of the things I said in the last talk, I'll read them quickly. Most advice and criticism does a great deal of harm to our children. You don't need to say a lot to children. Words hammer at the ears, but prayer goes to the heart. Yap, 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 in one ear, out the other, doesn't do anything, but the prayer affects the child in the heart and makes the child change, or even the adult, or, the, or your husband, your wife, or your whatever. Number two, pray, and when you have to, speak to your children with love. Lots of prayer and few words. Lots of prayer and few words for everyone all around us. We mustn't become an annoyance, but rather pray secretly and then speak. That word annoyance is very important. It's going to be a theme in this talk, maybe but also in the next talk, that we annoy people through our constant lecturing and telling them and this and that, even the priest, even myself. I forget sometimes, you can go yap, 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 and become an annoyance, a pest. Irritating. I fall into that. Do you fall into that? Yes. He says sometimes it's better, shut up, and just pray secretly. If your children have not accepted your words, then we should stop speaking. We will simply pray mystically because if we speak, we become an annoyance and make others react or even infuriate them, make them angry. Wrong. This is wrong when we do this, when we do this. Even things like you didn't clean the dishes, say, to the child, something trivial. And they're lazy or whatever. You didn't clean the dishes. You didn't clean the dishes. You didn't clean the dishes. See, continually. 
That's what's called like pathological, like crazy, obsessive. But what do you do if they haven't cleaned the dishes? Just clean them yourself. Just say to the child, because you're not doing it, I have to do it myself. And remember, I'm tired and I'm not feeling very well, etc. And if they go, they, they might, they might not be moved. They might be moved in that night. They might be moved in a week's time. Or they might remember it in three years or ten years' time and say, I remember when I didn't wash the dishes for my mum. She's gone now. How can I make it up? I know. I'll submit her name for 40 days of liturgies for her soul to make up for what I did. And suddenly you receive in the next life all this help. But clean the dishes, clean the dishes, clean the dishes, nagging, nagging, makes the children annoyed, makes them react. If we do the saint's advice, what do you do? He says, shut up and go and pray mystically for the child to be enlightened. Go up to your room and pray for them. Is that going to work, But If you're at the stage that you have doubt, then maybe you're in the wrong place. If you, have, if you lack that much faith that you don't believe that God can make your child wash the dishes, then, wow, that's really, really serious if you lack that much faith. That means, basically, it's like you're an atheist, a blasphemer, that God can't soften the child to wash the dishes. So what happens if the child doesn't change for two years? Does that mean I have to wash the dishes for two years? Maybe just get a dishwasher. That solves the problem. But then the child won't learn. Well, if it's not going to learn with you speaking to it, it's not going to learn with you nagging, it's going to be worse. So just pray and whatever it takes. Saint Nikolai Velimirovich, who passed away in 1956, I understand your sorrow. After your mother's death, you, as the older sister, have also been like a mother to your younger brother. You suffered while you put him through school. Because of him, you delayed marriage until you finally decided not to marry. You impoverished your life in order to enrich his. In the past, he listened to you and loved you. But in the last two years, he has changed completely. Firstly, he declared himself to be an unbeliever and started making fun of your religious practices. He made fun of when you would pray and go to church and the icons. For this, I know, even if you don't say it, that he gave himself over to a life of debauchery, an inevitable consequence of faithlessness. He is irritable, dark, untidy, lazy, rude. So this girl's parents died so she took the responsibility to bring up her younger brother. The brother in the beginning was good, listened to her. She educated him. She even deprived herself of marriage for him. She left it, left it, left it until at the end, she just decided there's no point, probably too late. Then she became poor for him by using all her money for him to study, etc., etc. But in the last two years, he's now become this horrible. He's an unbeliever makes fun of her, makes fun of religion, the icons. And then the Saint Nikolai says, even if you don't tell me, I can tell you that for him to be like that, 
he's given himself up to debauchery. In other words, he's fallen into sexual sins. Because sexual sins are a very, very quick way of losing grace. Because you're defiling the body. And the body is the house of the Holy Spirit. So when you defile the body, the Holy Spirit goes. This is an inevitable consequence of faithlessness. And he goes, I know he's irritable, he's dark, he's untidy, lazy, rude. He asks for what you cannot give him. He is creating debts everywhere. He's furious when you advise him. He, will, he would kill you. In other words, I don't know what he means by that, but that if you go too much against him, he could even you know, hit you or go, go kill you. He doesn't even resemble the former man he was, as if an evil spirit has possessed him. Poor sister, says St. Nikolai. He does have an evil spirit, a sort of madness which inevitably befalls the apostates. Apostates are those who were Christian who later on leave the church. They're called apostates, different to a heretic when they go to a different religion. Apostate, just fall away from the church. One cannot turn away from God and not stumble into thick darkness. As soon as you fall away from God, you enter into a dark existence. One cannot deny God and not go mad. Examples from past and present are many. Now, you might say, but there are so many people who don't believe in God, but they're not mad. You missed the point. One cannot deny God. A lot of those people who don't believe in God already don't believe. It's different for this child, this person, that he used to believe, and then consciously he says, I do not believe from now on. Those people do go crazy. They're not the same as someone who doesn't know, someone who wasn't brought up. There are so many examples from the past and present to prove this point. But let me tell you about a mother. Now, St. Nicholas is going to give this sister an example. Let me tell you about a mother who saved her son who was similar to your brother. When all the mother's advice fell through like water through a sieve, she suddenly stopped talking. You know what a sieve is? Where you wash vegetables and you wash your spaghetti and then rinse it and all the water comes through. It was as if... Uh, all your words is like water coming out of the um, colander. So he says, When all the mother's advice fell through like water through a sieve, she suddenly stopped talking. Remember last talk? Zippa. Not another word to her son. And she started praying to God that he would send some illness upon him. You will say, a cruel mother, what a cruel mother, to wish her son to get sick. But listen to the end, says St. Nicolai. Listen to the end of the story. The mother herself told me this. I realised, she said, that nobody under the sun can save him except God himself. And through a trial of some sort, that he needs to go through something come out of what is, what's happening. So I prayed, says the mother, that God would strike him with some terrible trial. Now we ask the question, is that orthodox? Is that proper? Could that be done? Well, it depends. I'll give you this. Two mothers. This mother, 
got the child, similar, just say a 15-year-old boy, rude, horrible, even hits us sometimes. We have another mother, a 15-year-old boy, rude, hits her sometimes, exactly the same. Both pray for the child to get ill in order for the child to change. And I say to you, one of those women, what she's doing is right. The other woman, no. Why? What's the difference? Do you know? One mother is praying that way. Let me do the prayer for you. So this is Mother A, like Athena, for example. This is Athena's prayer. She says, God, please send my child, my son, some trial to awaken him, to help him, to enlighten him, save him, do whatever you think, whatever's good for his soul, do. That's, that's Athena. We come to the other lady now. Say, Helen. And she says, God, he hit me the other day. Send him a sickness. Punish him. Knock him down. See? Different spirit. That's the difference. Yes for one, no for the other. And I prayed for a long time, and he really fell ill. He lay in bed for three months. I served him, and I prayed to God in front of him. He thought I was praying for his physical recovery, but I actually prayed that his soul would recover. See, that's called spiritual love, not pathological love, not sick love. See, sick love is make my child better. Let him get better so he can go and study, so he can find a girl to get married to. doesn't matter that his soul is possessed. It doesn't matter that he might not be saved. As long as I can see him grow and get his de degree and this, this and this. See, that's pathological. That's not love. That's love in a human way. But this woman didn't pray like that. She actually was saying, don't make him better if it's not good for his soul. Better dead bodily, says the mother, than spiritually to be dead. That's divine love. He noticed my service, love and prayer. He noticed her service, meaning how she served him, how she had love for him and prayer. But he actually thought she was praying for him to physically get well. He didn't know she was praying for his soul. And little by little, his heart softened. Very important word, softened. That's what we want. We want, we all got hard hearts to some degree, some less, some more. My heart is hard a lot of times. Your heart is hard. We want our heart to be softened because when it's softened, then God's grace can come. Like a garden. We have a garden. If you don't cultivate it, you know, go in there and dig it up a bit. It doesn't allow the garden to breathe and for the water to get in. It's hard, so the water just flows off. So it's the same as our heart. When it's hard, God's grace can't get in, which is like water in the garden. So when our heart is softened through sufferings, become a bit softer, then that allows God's grace to come in. That's why God in his love allows sufferings. We think, oh, it's cruel. He must be cruel to allow that. When doctors already gave up on him, 
and he himself became like a shadow, in other words, very thin, he cried one day and whispered to his mum, my sweet mum, mummy, I pray to God that I don't die. And I said, promise, son, that you always remember God and be grateful to him and that you will correct your behaviour. See the spiritual answer? Do we answer like a lot of times like that? No. That's a spiritual mother. Promise, my son, that you will always remember God and be grateful to him and that you will correct your behaviour. Like the martyrs, when you read the martyrs, always read the lives of saints. People who don't read the lives of saints, to me, they're not orthodox. If you don't have a love for the lives of saints, then to me, you might as well pray to Muhammad. That's not orthodox. But the gospel, you have to read the gospel. If you read the lives of saints, you will notice that it says the saint grew up reading the lives of saints, the lives of saints. It doesn't mention much that they read the gospels. Why? Because the lives of saints help us understand the gospels. That's why it's important to be saturated with reading the lives of saints. And I would say in the beginning even more than the Gospels because the Gospels we can get confused with, we don't understand them. But when we read the lives of saints, we can understand them better because the lives of saints are the Gospel in practice. So if you read there, the martyrs, it says the child was going to be killed and the mother goes and says, my child, think of me, don't leave me. I breastfed you. Just deny. God will forgive you. And the child will say, or the, whatever he was, how old he was, look, I thank you for your milk. Thank you for being my mother. But no thanks to your advice. I don't want your advice to say to deny Christ. While other mothers, when their child was going to be martyred, and then the child might have wavered a bit, and the mother would say, no, no, don't do that. Don't deny Christ. Don't deny your orthodox faith. Prefer to die rather than to live for another 10, 20, 30 years spiritual. So that's what she's doing. She's praying for his soul. That's more important than for him to get better physically or to go and get a degree in medicine or become a lawyer or have a big business and get rich. Better dead bodily than spiritually. I had a feeling that he won't die, and thank God he recovered. He's now healthy bodily and spiritually. I love this next expression. Soft as wax, pious like an angel, obedient and clean like the sun. That's what counts. That's what you should want for your child. Soft as wax, pious like an angel, obedient and clean like the sun. And that all came from her prayer to God that he suffered to be softened. So you got a child which is out of control, or your husband's out of it. For example, a lot of women have trouble with their husbands. They, they're like beasts sometimes. They pray. Do whatever you can with, this soul, with your soul. So, some women pray. Other women pray, God, look how he treats me. Punish him. Knock him down. That's not spiritual. So, 
the other woman. Yes, she's horrible to me. Yes, but still is my husband. I pray that you do whatever is good for his soul. Just save him. Whatever's meant for his soul. And the results are the person can go have an accident or have some sickness and become better. Or they might get cancer and off they go. Not important when they go, it's important how they go. That's called spiritual love. Saint Nikolai continues. He goes back to the first lady with her brother. You also, sister, have to stop advising your brother. Be quiet and do not irritate him. Again, see the word? Porfirius used the word irritation. Other saints used the word irritation. Paisius used the word irritation. Don't irritate him. What does he mean, don't irritate him? Be- irritate him because of your constant? Yep, 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 yep. Don't irritate him. Be quiet. He is as if in a fever. Like you get a fever. Ooh, you're really sick and you don't even know what's going on a lot of times, the fever. Well, people have got spiritual fever. Out of it. You also, sister, have to stop advising your brother. Shut up, in other words. Be quiet. Do not irritate him. He is as if in a fever. But start praying to God for him, saying, O good Lord, thou art abundant in thy ways and manners. In whichever way and manner you can, heal my brother's soul, even if it be, O God, by a terrible illness and torment, I pray you. So St. Nikolai is telling us, yes, we can pray for someone to get sick if their heart is a rock, if they're in danger of losing their souls. Look at that. He's given the same advice as the other saints. Why? The Holy Spirit is the same. And whether they're ancient saints, like St. John Chrysostom or other saints that we've read, Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. It's the same Holy Spirit. The saints say the same things. Look at that. Be quiet. Don't irritate him. St. Paul said the same. Did St. Paul and St. Nikolai meet? No. No. The two different people. However, they say in the same because it's the same Holy Spirit. Let's hear the prayer. O good Lord, you are abundant in your ways and manners. You've got all these ways that you can help people. In whichever way and manner that you want to do that you can heal my brother's soul even if it be O god by a sore illness and torment i pray you see you could go to a priest and say father should i pray for my husband he's gone off you know he's just really he's going to lose his soul he's become like a devil he's black as the ace of spades what's going to happen to him i pray that god gives him some maybe sickness to enlighten him, to bring him to, or whatever's meant to be, even if it's meant to die, as long as he dies repentant. And the priest goes, no, that's not orthodox, that's not proper, that's not love, they don't know. I always had a feeling that that was correct, but I didn't say it to people because I wasn't sure. But now that I'm reading it, I understand it now.
also choose an additional day of the week and fast for him an additional day not just wednesday and friday if you're healthy pick another day and dedicate that day for him give alms give alms give money to the poor for his sake and god will in due time and in his way grant him a good spirit and he will give him over into your arms healthy and in his right mind mystically the same word as porphyrios mystically pouring into your heart those words from the gospel quote this brother of mine was dead and now is alive end quote remember the prodigal son this son of mine was dead and now he's alive dead spiritually alive spiritually not dead physically it means dead spiritually i see the same word as saint porphyrios mystically and saint porphyrios used the same words the grace will go into the heart of the person and change them exactly the same god's peace and help be with you that was the letter of saint nikolai to a uh, sister of a boy that went off and also gave an example in between of a mother and her boy that went off and how she prayed and how the boy got sick etc and then say nikolai saying you do the same god might send him sickness whatever it doesn't matter even if he dies it doesn't matter what matters is for him to be saved see but a lot of people can't do that my son's lost himself he's having thoughts maybe he's homosexual and he wants to fall with men or something like that or my daughter's thinking of becoming a lesbian or whatever and you say this is not good spiritually or my child wants to have sex before marriage wrong they don't just emphasize homosexuality sex before marriage is wrong homosexuality is wrong and the mother prays or the father as well the mother especially prays for the child and says i don't want my child to go down that way do whatever is good for you but then some mothers go no i can't do that better at least i'll see him yes he'll be gay or yes she'll be a lesbian or yes they're going to shack up together and live together in the same house woman and man but at least i've got my daughter or I've got my son at least they might have some babies through IVF or whatever that's what counts that's pathological love spiritual love is god do whatever you can i just want them saved okay section e i want to do a little bit on this one more time and then we'll go on to the other part there's a constant theme in what we're doing throughout the talk it's been through pretty much every talk that with god's help i have done on the upbringing of children and the theme is don't pressure the children very important now you might say why are you doing it continually you've said it once 
why are you saying it again and again and again? The simple reason is, is because I don't think we, all of us, including myself, understand the significance of this. So what I'm doing is I'm using that, bringing in new teachings, reinforcing so that it can be understood by us because this is the secret to the upbringing of children but also when dealing with your spouses or other people, this forcing. So St. Paisios, I advise mothers not to pressure their children but to pressure themselves instead and to pray more fervently. St. Porfirios, it's not sufficient for the parents to be pious. It's not enough for them just because they're religion that things are going to go right. They must not oppress the children in order to make them good by force. In other words, that you shouldn't oppress means that you shouldn't crush them, abuse them in a way, forcing them. You can't make children good by force. We may turn our children away from Christ when we pursue other things of our religion with egotism. Because in a way, when we're persistent and keep on trying to force someone, it's more ego. You're going to do it the way I want you to do it. There's egotism involved in that. Children cannot endure coercion, force. And this children doesn't mean just little children, it means teenagers and adult children. Don't compel them to come to church with you. You can say, whoever wants can come with me now or come later. Leave God to speak to their souls. Now, what happens if the children are young? You're going to leave a six-year-old at home by themselves? No. So obviously you can try yeah, try and say, okay, you have to come, etc. Now, if the child's going crazy, up and down, whatever, then one of the parents might have to stay. Now, you might say, but that means that he'll do or she'll do that all the time and will never go to church. No, that's not necessarily correct because now you've got to pray and say, well, why is my child doing that? Maybe because God's allowing that to happen to show that I've got to have more faith in him and pray for the child to be enlightened, to want to come to church. When they're a little bit older and they can stay home on their own, leave them. They don't want to come, they don't want to come. St. Porfirios, pray and then speak. That's what you should do with your children. If you are constantly lecturing them, you become tiresome, and when they grow up, they'll feel a kind of oppression. The same word oppression. In other words, they will feel crushed. They will feel that they've been abused, mistreated, when you keep on trying to, uh, when you keep lecturing them, lecturing them. Even if you're saying perfectly the right thing. Above all, you should speak to God about your children. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, give your light to my children. I entrust them to you. In other words, I hand them over to you. You gave them to me, but I am weak and unable to guide them. So please, illuminate them. That's the prayer of a parent. You gave me the child, but I don't know what to do. 
See, hum, when you have humility like that, miracles occur. But unfortunately, a lot of people are proud and they find it really hard to ask God to help them enlighten the truth because they've got this thing, I know how to do it. I know. I don't need help. Don't ask advice. Don't even ask priests for advice. Like ridiculous things. Okay, I found this other person here. Well, someone found it for me. Archimandrite Andreas Konanos. Now, he is a popular theologian, parish priest, missionary priest. He belongs to the Church of Greece, around 49 years old now. He's famous for his simple sermons, full of love and ability to communicate with young people. A lot of young people go to him. He goes constantly to Mount Athos. He meets with elders. And he had a lot of contact in the days of St. Paisios and St. Porfirios. So this is what he says, Archimandrite Andreas. Remember, he hasn't got children. He's a, he's a priest monk. The reason why problems such as coercion and friction enter homes is because there isn't an atmosphere of peace and prayer. When there's no prayer, when there's no peace in the house, what happens is there's fighting and forcing. Do this, do that, all these type of things. God says, you cast me to the side and so I go to the side. And then anxiety, agitation, uneasiness and turmoil enter your life. How am I to blame? That's important. This priest is saying, it's as if we're saying to God, go to the side. I don't want you involved in my life. How do we show that we don't want him involved in life? We never ask him. We don't ask him for help. And then God says, but what happens when I go to the side since you don't want me? What enters the house instead? Anxiety, agitation, uneasiness, turmoil. This is what enters the life of people when they don't want God. How am I to blame, God says. You can't blame me. I'm there, I can help you, but you don't want my help. Now the Archimandrite continues. If you pray, it is the most powerful weapon, the greatest help and the greatest support in your life. People that pray. Once a young man said to me, Father, what's going on with me? I can't seem to find a girlfriend to have sexual relations with. When I'm just about to sin with a girl, in the last minute, something always happens and everything gets ruined. Someone is hindering me. Someone is stopping me. So this boy, however old he was, teenager, who knows, he went to this priest and he says to the priest, I want to have sex with a girl, but every time I try, something happens. I don't know what he means by something happens. It could be, I don't know, it could be a, a sexual dysfunction. It could be something else. I don't know. But whatever it is, he thinks someone's doing something. I was surprised, says the priest. I don't understand. What's stopping you, he said to the boy. Something is preventing me from committing this act. And the priest says, and this upsets you? Of course it upsets me. And the priest says, are you in your right mind? Others pray so as not to fall into sin, but you complain about the opposite. You want to fall into sin. And then the boy goes, but I want to have sex with a girl. And then the Archimandrite says, 
Now he's just talking. Can you believe this young man's thinking? At least we can be thankful for his honesty. After a while, his mother came to me and said, Father, I know about my son's complaints. I will reveal to you the secret, but do not tell my son about it. I went to San Jaralambos, whom I love very much, brought him a gift and asked him, my Saint Haralambos, I beg you, help me. Whenever my son wants to do any sin or anything bad, let all of his attempts to do so fail. But when the time comes to create a family, when his feelings are serious and proper, then open the doors for him. And you know, Father, I can now sleep peacefully, whereas before I could not sleep at all. So she couldn't sleep because she was so worried that her son wanted to fall into sin. She had anxiety. Now, we said before, you can have anxiety, you can be worried, you can be upset, but not overly done. And ask God for help. Ask his, his mother for help, the mother of God. Ask the angels for help. Ask the saints for help. So she prayed, do something to stop him falling to sin. As I said, I don't know what it is. But he says one minute beforehand something happens and he can't do it. By the way, the father says, this woman lived in Athens and had 12 children and slept on the floor. That is, she would pray and fall asleep on the floor from tiredness. She said, this was not a life. I was so scared for my children. I wanted them to be good. I would follow them and call them on their phones and they would lie to me. I almost went crazy. I turned into a detective. This was not a life. She was chasing them, spying on them. Where are you? What are you doing? When are you going to come home? And then I said to myself, is this how I'm going to be? Am I going to be like this, living and becoming sick and over anxious and anxieties and things like that? And then she said to herself, I will go to the saints and I will pray. And if it pleases God, then everything will change. I began to pray, Lord, you work everything out. From then on, I calmed down. Santa Hannibal takes care of my children and I remain calm and I can sleep. That's important. And I've heard it time and time again of people that have told me this. A person said to me, they were really in despair. My mother, my mother died. I, did she repent properly? I don't know. She was really like bad. I said, do the acathist for uh, the repose of a loved one, which we have at the back there. They're, um, they're published by St. Paisios Monastery in Arizona, Women's Convent. They publish all the acathists. And she said to me later on, she goes, do you know what happened? After I read that acathist, I felt calm. Someone gave me an example the other day. Their mother had telephoned them. And their mother said something to this woman. And this woman was very anxious about her mother. The mother had some mental issues and things like that. And the woman kind of lost herself a bit and was getting into despair and anxiety. She was getting sick of worry for her mum. And she said what she did is she went and did some acathist or canon for her mother. 
and for the situation. And she says, you won't believe what happened. I go, what happened? He goes, after that, my anxiety left. Second example like that. And that's true. When we have problems, anxieties and issues, etc., and we pray to God and we actually lose a lot of that anxiety, it goes, we know that God's heard our prayer and then we feel peaceful, we feel comfortable that he has taken control of the situation and he will fix up everything. This woman couldn't even sleep from her anxiety. So I discovered why this young man could not find a girl to sin with, says the priest. He was prevented by the prayer of his mother. Do you think you can pray like that? Says the father to the audience. That he, This is from a talk that he did. So we're learning a lot of things today. One, praying for your child or someone not to do sins. Could even be your husband, could even be your wife. And secondly, praying that whatever is meant to be for that person to get sick or even die, whatever is meant to be, as long as they're saved. Now we go to another section. So far, we have heard everything to do with parents praying for their children. This is now another section which is now parents should also ask for prayers. So, Father John Christiankin, D.T., whatever his name is, pray for your children and help them in any way you can. They have not yet learned how to live and do not know the true treasures in life and therefore your advice cannot help them. He's saying to this mother or whatever, father, because your children don't know how to live in a Christian way, then the advice that you're giving them, they're not listening. But prayer made secretly will soften their hardened hearts. Nowadays, only help people with prayer. And I found that this is the most effective help. May God give you wisdom. P.S. Pray to Holy Hierax Bedidon uh, about exchanging apartments. I put that in to show you because some people say, oh, we only... We only ask for prayers when it's something like spiritual, whatever. And yet, someone visited Optina and he saw the, one of the Optina elders giving advice to a lady about geese, like ducks and things. And someone said, what are you doing that for? He goes, that's their life. Their life is, is that. And I'm helping them in what is important for them. And um, well, back to the other one, which is more important here. Again, the same words as the other saints we read over the last months. But prayer made secretly will soften, the word soften, their hardened hearts. The words we read from one of the ancient saints, Saint Gregory the Theologian or Saint Dorotheos of Gaza, I forgot which one it was. He says, when you constantly go, go, go on and on talking you can make the person hard-hearted. I didn't know that. That was in the last talk, talk 76. And he's saying here that we need instead to pray so God can soften their hearts. Nowadays, he says, I only help people with prayer. That's very important. Some people say, what do the monastics know about bringing up of children? Why should we ask them for advice? Why should I write to them? They don't have children. They don't know. 
silly, silly, silly things to say. Yes, that's true. Many monastics don't know. They, a lot of them aren't, don't have that gift to even... There are a lot who can help people in the world. St John Chrysostom, a lot of these people, that's Father Andreas. But a lot of them can't. That's not important. What's important is what he says here. He goes, nowadays, I only help people with prayer. I don't even hardly write any advice. He goes, and I found that that is the most effective help. So someone can write to me, for example, and give a whole email, blah, 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 this, this, this and that. I won't even know how to answer. Is that important? No. What's important is to commemorate that person in the liturgy. So when you submit, when you ring up, or when you write letters to a monastery, what do they do? Straight, that will not even advise you. Straight away, prayer. Some of the monks or nuns on their kobuskini, on their prayer rope, some of them, obviously, they commemorate you in the liturgy, especially monasteries which serve liturgy every day. That's the most effective way. You don't have to receive advice. And these silly things where the devil tricks people and says, oh, what do they know about the upbringing of children? They might not know much, maybe, even though all the advice we're getting today are all from priest monks, but they're gifted. But, yes, a lot of monastics have no idea. That's true. But what they do have an idea of, what they're good at, is prayer ropes. And what they're good at is commemorating. That's what they're good at. And that's what you need. And that's, far, that's worth more than a whole letter. To be honest, when people write to me and I write back, I say to myself, this is a waste of time. Sorry, I don't mean to be rude. I say it's a waste of time. Because I know that they're not going to understand it. They're going to misunderstand it, distort it, not listen, go crazy, this and that. Sometimes I just can't go through all that. So I just say to the person, we'll commemorate you. And that's what's the most important thing. And you see miracles like that. So don't be tricked and go, oh, what do monasteries know about the upbringing of children? I've been, I'm going to speak tonight for four hours plus. A lot of good advice. And you're going to say, oh, this is going to help me with my child. You go away and then uh, the next day, why are you wearing this? Why are you doing this? Why are that? Same thing. After you just heard a talk for four and a half hours. Now, don't say I'm putting you down because I do the same. I hear it. I even do the talk. And yet the next day I could start nagging someone. It's good to talk. However, an old nun in a monastery that's been there for years, who knows how to pray, has faith, can do one little prayer rope and say, Lord Jesus Christ, help that mother with her son. And that can completely change the son more than the talk of four and a half hours which we condensed to four hours. So don't be tricked. 
Father John Christiankin, I cannot refuse prayer to anyone, but I refrain from advising. You also pray for your son, for I perceive that you have not lessened the guilt in your heart. My prayers are only an aid to your maternal prayers. God's mercy has covered you and your son more than once. Until your son learns to appreciate it, he will have to bear the weight of punishment for his insensitivity. Now that is important once again. That he says, I refrain from giving advice. St. John of Cronstadt said, I've said this before, that when he would give advice to someone, his passions, the person's passions get mixed up and the whole thing can become a mess. And St. John of Cronstadt said, I prefer just to pray for the person and let God work it out. He knows what's best for the person. And Saint Father John said, I refrain from giving advice. I just prefer to pray. And, and then he said, I perceive that your guilt in, has not lessened. So she must have felt guilty for maybe her son uh, was something wrong or whatever she's asking for prayers for is her fault. And he's, then he says again that, those powerful words, my prayers are only an aid to your maternal prayers. An aid, a little help, a little help. But the majority is your prayers, the mother's prayers. God's mercy has covered you and because your son has not learned, uh, he you know, doesn't learn, then God will have to send him some punishment be to, because he's insensitive to soften his heart. And I don't use the word punishment, I like the word some type of penance, something for him to... We, we use the word punishment, but punishment is like in a negative way. I think it's more that God will send... Like we might say, oh, that man just got cancer because he used to beat his wife. That's his punishment. Is it? Or is it a way for him to be saved? So you can use the word punishment, but I think it's God's love to that person to save him. Father John Christiankin, I received your letter. We pray for your sick, suffering sons, but it's very hard to help you since neither of them recognise the only source of health, God. So he's saying you want help for your children, for your sons, but they don't even recognise God. So it's a bit hard. But, he says, but pray for them fervently with your mother's prayers, but of course do not drag them forcibly to the church. Without faith, none of the sacraments are effective. In other words, if the boys don't have faith, then if they commune or whatever they do, it's not going to help them. Don't force them. Read the canon for the sick. We also have a dedicated canon for a sick child. But I think what he's saying here, because these are, I think these are older people. But what I want to advise you is there it is there. It says it there, canon for a sick child. Um, because there's nothing else for older ones, what I tell parents, how old is your child? Oh, 20. Okay, read it. Oh, but that's for children. doesn't matter. Still your child. Read it and you'll see miracles. So he says, read the canon for the sick at least once a week and pray thus. God, you know all things and your love is perfect. Take the lives of my sick suffering children 
A and V, whatever, into your hands and do that which I want to do, but I can't. I'm in. We will also pray, but our prayers are only a supplement to your motherly prayers. This emphasis of a mother's prayers is very, very, very important. And these prayers, which is similar to the way that Elder Paisius said and Elder Porfirio said and Saint and Elder Saint Nikolai. When I say elder, it's not disrespectful. I'm just used to it because they were just canonized recently. And Saint Nikolai and Elder Favels and Saint this and Saint all the same. All the similar prayer. God, you do, you know what to do. I don't know what to do. You help them. So that canon. I would advise you, even if, you, if your child's 22, 20, I actually tell parents, how old they are, oh, 23. doesn't matter, they're sick. But, but, but they haven't got for that. No, even mental, still sick. Spiritual, still sick. And when you read that canon, there's actually references there to spiritual sicknesses, mental and things like that. So it's very good to do, even though it's aimed more at young children. There's nothing wrong with reading it for the older children, and you'll see miracles. May the Lord strengthen you in patience. That's the last letter. Now we go to a nice example. This is St. Porphyrios. It's a bit long, but you'll get benefit. One day, a mother came here distraught and worried, whatever, about her son, George. He was very mixed up. He stayed out late at night and kept bad company. Every day, Things were getting worse. The mother was overcome by anxiety and distress. Is that wrong? You can have anxiety, you can have distress, as long as it's joined together with prayer to God. If you have anxiety and distress and you're getting sick and you're out of it and you don't pray to God, then that's wrong. That's over, excessive. That's what all the saints have said. I said to her, this is St. Porfirio speaking. Don't say a word, just pray. We agreed that between 10 and 10.15 every evening, we would both pray. So the saint made an agreement with her. At 10 o'clock, you and me will pray for 15 minutes for your son. I told her not to say a word and to leave her son to stay out to whatever time he wanted without asking him, what sort of time is this to come home? Where were you? Don't say any of that. Instead, she would say to him as lovingly as possible, come and eat, George. There's food in the fridge. Beyond this, she was to say nothing. She would behave towards him with love and not stop praying, to continually pray. Now, you don't get mixed up with this and say, but I thought you were supposed to advise him a little bit. Why didn't he say to her, right? Because she said that it had been going on for a while, obviously. He, had not, he was not listening. He was getting worse. So in other words, time to be quiet. If your words are helping them a little bit, of course you're going to say something. But with him, it was sh shut shop. That's it. Forget, forget it. That's why his advice was like that. So sometimes you can still speak to your children. They might listen. But when it's gone to this stage, like this child, it's time to, he says, be quiet, don't say a word, just pray for him. The mother began to apply this strategy, this uh, tactic, and 
after about 20 days had passed, the boy asked her mother, why don't you speak to me? What do you mean, George, that I don't speak to you? You've got something against me, mother, and you're not speaking to me. What strange idea is that you've got in your head, George, says the mother. Of course I speak to you. Am I not speaking to you now? What do you want me to say to you? George made no reply. Back to St. Porphyrus, and he says, The mother then came to the monastery and asked me, Elder, what was the meaning of this that the boy said to me, you know, why don't you speak to me? She couldn't understand why he spoke like that. And then Elder Perus says, our tactic has worked. The mother asked the elder, what tactic? The tactic I told you of not speaking and simply praying secretly and that the boy would come to his senses. She then said, do you think that's it? That is it, I told her. He wants you to ask him, where were you? What were you doing? So that he can shout and react and come home even later the next night. You know, some kids make you shout at the morning and say, oh, I'm not staying here because you shouted at me, even though they're the ones that, all those type of things. But some parents just do it on their own. Nag, 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 nag. and makes the person stay up more. She said, is, this so? is that so? What strange mysteries are hidden, the mother said. It's really strange. I, I can't believe all this. St. Porfirios, do you understand now he was tormenting you because he wanted you to react to his behaviour so that he could stage this little, his little act. Now that you're not shouting at him, he's upset. Instead of you being upset when he does what he wants, now he's upset because you don't appear distressed and you display indifference. It's, that's, that's bothering him that you're not saying anything. You don't, it's like you don't care. One day, George announced that he was giving up his job and going to Canada. This story is in Greece. He had told his bosses to find a replacement because he was leaving. In the meantime, I said to his parents, we'll pray together. So St. Porfirius's advice, as soon as he heard that this boy is going to go to Canada, he said, let's do prayer. He didn't say, say this, do this, do that. Let's pray. His father said, but he's ready to leave. I'll grab him by the scruff of the neck. See the force? Like the mother that was tackling the daughter with the short dress. Having a scrum in the middle of the lounge room. Now the, boy, the father's saying, even though this boy, is not even a boy, because in that I was probably 20, who knows. He goes, I'll grab him from the neck and I'll stop him. He's not going to go to Canada. I told him, no, don't do anything. The father answered, but the boy's leaving, Elder. I said, let him leave. Devote yourselves to prayer and I'll be with you. I'll support you in the prayers. Say nothing. Two or three days later, early one Sunday morning, George announced to his parents, I'm going off today with my friends. His parents replied, fine, do what you want. He left and together with his friends, two girls and two boys, he hired a car and set off for Halkida. Halkida's that island where my mother's, I told you my mother's from, Evia. It's about one and a half hours from Athens. And it's a very nice island. That's where St. John the Russian is. That's where the new St. Yakovos is. St. Nectarius preached there for some years. They drove around aimlessly here and there. Sounds like me. So I used to go with my friends. 
So we'll go out to the cinema, and after that, we'll go to McDonald's, and after that, we'll go to another shop for coffee, and after that, we'll go to another, aimlessly. What was it for? Depression, boredom. So obviously, these creatures, poor things, they were bored. They are driving around aimlessly here and there. Then they went past the church of St. John the Russian, and from there to a tourist beach. They had a swim in the sea, they ate, drank, and had a good time. At the end of it all, they set off on the road home. It was already dark, George was driving. As they were, so he must be at least 18, I mean, you would think. As they were passing through a village, the car hit the corner of a house. You know, in the villages, the houses are right on the road then. As he was turning, he hit the house and uh, he damaged the car. What could they do now? They managed to bring the car back to Athens at a crawling pace, just really slowly. George arrived back home in the early hours of the morning. His parents said nothing to him, and he went off to sleep. When he woke up, he came and said to his father, do you know what happened? Now we'll have to repair the car, and it will cost a lot of money. His father said, well, George, you'll have to find a solution to this yourself. You know, I've got debts to pay and your sisters to look after. What can I do, Father? The son replied. Do whatever you like. You're grown up. You've got a brain of your own. Go off to Canada and make some money. He even said, go off to Canada. Even though he didn't want him to go to Canada. That's what you want to do, do it. George said, I can't do that. We have to repair the car now. The father answered, I've no idea what you should do. Sort it out yourself. You want to, in other words, which is what I tell parents, your kid thinks he's an adult, then give him adult responsibility. So seeing that further dialogue with his father was pointless, he said no more and left. He went to his boss and said, I had a car accident. I don't want to leave now, so don't hire anyone else. His boss said, that's all right by me. Then George said, yes, but I would like you to give me some money in advance. The boss answered, that's fine, but you wanted to leave. If you want money, your father will have to sign for it. And then George said, I'll sign for it myself. My father doesn't want to get involved. He told me so. I'll work and I'll repay it, said George. Now, isn't that a miracle, says St. Porfirios. All of a sudden now he wants to stay. So when the boy's mother came again to see me, I said to her, the method we employed worked and God heard our prayer. The accident was from God. And now the boy will stay at home and will come to his senses. See, all this but before, what were they doing? Yap, 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 continually. Did that do anything? No. But we haven't got a saint like St. Porfirius to pray for us, with us. Powerful are the prayers of a mother. And, and the father, but powerful are the prayers of a mother. But there's no saint. They had a saint, that's why. Even if you just submit the names to a, a monastery, miracles can occur. This accident was from God, and now the boy will stay at home and will come to his senses. That's what happened through our prayer, St. Porphyrios, our prayer, his and the parents. St. Porphyrios had the same thing. When people would come and ask for prayers, he goes, but what are you going to do? Remember? Can you fast? No. Do you smoke? Yeah. Okay, give up the cigarettes, and then We'll pray to God for, to help your person. Do some sacrifice. Do some effort. Put something on your side. 
It's no good when people just ask for prayers like that and don't do any effort on their own side. See what St. Nicholas said? Pick an extra day of fasting. Give alms to the poor. Do those things together with your prayers and obviously St. Nicholas' prayers to help your brother that had become out of it. That's what happened through our prayer. It was a miracle. The parents fasted, prayed and kept silent and they were successful. Sometime later, the boy himself came and found me without any of his family having said anything to him about me. The boy, independent of his parents, he didn't even know that his parents were visiting St. Porfirios. George became a very fine man and now works in the Air Force and he's married with a lovely family. Father John Christiankin, I'm fulfilling your request for prayers for you and your son. So a woman wrote to him and says, pray for my son and for her, obviously. And so he's doing the prayers, he says. I have written him down, your son, for 40 days in the monastery because Saint Father John was attached to the monastery. He goes, I've written him down for 40 days in the monastery commemoration book as well as 40 liturgies where a particle will be cut for you each day. So when the priest, there's the altar, and to the left is what's called the proskomidi. At the proskomidi, the priest prepares the bread that will become the body, and then uh, there's commemorations take place. That's where he reads the names. As he's reading the names, he takes particles from the Russians do it different, Greeks do it different, but let's just say anyway. So there's a, a, a piece of bread that's we do the living, another one for the dead. So as you're saying the living, you take out particles. Those particles are then put onto the viscos. Then the liturgy takes place, and then the bread in the middle, the lamb, becomes the body of Christ, and the wine becomes the blood of Christ. Then at the, towards the end of the liturgy, the priest gets those particles that have been commemorated the dead and puts them over the chalice and pours them in and says, wash away, O Lord, the sins of thy servants he commemorated. So at that time, the living and the dead are communing, even if they're not at the liturgy, especially the dead. So he says, in the liturgy, we'll take out a particle for you and your son every day for 40 days. As for your son's future, lay your sorrows upon the Lord. No one can help you more than he can. Again, the same thing. Don't use your efforts. Put most of your efforts on God and tell God to help you with your child. You can learn to pray by beginning to pray not only with your lips, but with heartful attention to the Lord. Your anxiety over your son will teach you to pray. Yes, you've got anxiety for your son. Yes, you've got pain for your son. But convert that anxiety to good. Instead of making that anxiety and making you sick and out of it and hopeless and hard-hearted, make your anxiety godly. Bring that anxiety and say, God, I have anxiety for my child, my husband, my wife, whatever. I give that anxiety to you. You take that anxiety. Please help me. So we use our anxiety to make our prayer stronger. Abbot Haralambos Dinisiatis. One of the elders' most pious spiritual children once complained that Johnny, one of his three children, although he was doing really well in his spiritual life until 15 years of age, 
and actually was never absent from church, started to slowly pull away from the church. The worst was that he now spent the weekends going out all night with his friends and slept in the day until midday. The elder gave courage to the above father saying, so who's Abbot Haralambos? Father Haralambos was the abbot of the monastery Vinicio. Father Haralambos was a spiritual child of Elder Joseph, he passed away in the year 2000. He was a man of prayer. He served liturgy every day. I also met another father in the monastery, Manafus Caracalo, Father Matthew, and um, he was very old. He had a speech impediment. So when he would serve, he'd go like that. He was like very bad speech impediment. Couldn't understand what he was saying. And what he would do is he would even though the main liturgy was in the, the main church of the monastery, he would go, except for Sundays where he went with everyone and feast days, he would go to one of the chapels, because each monastery has got many chapels. He would go to the chapel with one monk, who was a chanter, and he would then serve liturgy there with no one there, just him and the chanter. And there he would commemorate names. And I was blessed to be able to go to one of those liturgies because I knew the chanter. He took me up as a lay person. And I was, I was there for the liturgy, very simple. But he was serving the liturgy every day. Now, if you asked him for advice, this probably wouldn't even be able to even give you any advice. Some of them are very simple. They don't have the discernment. That's, you know, that's some people have it and some don't. But, the, but, but he had faith. He would serve every day. Imagine being commemorated by him. See, people get confused. Oh, no, they, they don't know. So this is what Elder Haranabur said to this father. It's not easy to uproot the seed of the gospel where it has fallen. Your child is, in other words, you taught the child spiritual things and now he's changed, but that root is still in him. The seed's in them. And it's not easy to uproot that. It's still in him, even though he's gone off. Your child is now going through a trial. At his age, there is a tough battle between the material and the spiritual. At the moment, the scales are leaning towards the material. That means that God is asking for something more from the parents. What does that mean? Sometimes God permits these things to happen to the kids that go a bit off and all that, and saying to the parents, let's see what you're going to do. Are you spiritual? Well, if you're spiritual, let's see if you're going to handle the problem in a spiritual way. With your prayer, you will put more weight on the right side of your child's scales so that he rises high once again. That's how it is. One supplements the deficiencies of the other. Do you say the prayer that I taught you every night, the Jesus prayer, in other words? The person said, yes, elder. Now even more so, however, what should I say now with this child of my child? In other words, he says, do you do the Jesus prayer like I taught you? He says, yes, and now because of the problems of my child, I'm doing even more, which is spiritual. That's good. Not instead of the yap, 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 yaps and all this type of stuff. What prayer do you do, says Elder Haranabos? Every night with my wife and other children, sometimes Johnny comes too, we read the compline with the Akathist. Now, with my wife, we have added the supplicator canon to the Mother of God, which is what we sang today in the church. In the morning, 
I wake two or three hours before work and say the Jesus prayer with the prayer robe as you have taught me. Two to three hours. People don't even do two or three minutes. It's really sad. Like the child's in... Like I remember this mother, and I said to her, you know, you, you know your child's got suicidal thoughts. She goes, oh, oh, no good, no good. She didn't even know how to react. Didn't even know how to react. No good. Have you prayed? And then I might see the, the, that woman two, three weeks later. One more, have you been praying? I goes, oh, I didn't even think of it. So he says here, you know, maybe this, this happened in the 60s, 50s. We don't even know. This man obviously is a very spiritual man, but you don't have to do three hours, two, three hours. Do a cacathus, do a canon, something like that. Even if you dedicate half an hour a day for your child or whatever, for your husband, for your wife. Elder Harambos then said, well done, God bless you, Johnny is going to make you a God-bearer. Pray more if you can, or is that difficult? No, Elder, God forbid. Actually, it's my comfort. Remember I said before, when we pray about our problems, we become less anxious and things like that. And what did he mean by Johnny's going to make you a God-bearer? It means that because of Johnny's problems, you're going to pray more, and by praying more, you're going to become a saint. It's my comfort. Having called out the prayer for two or three hours by saying it with my mind or out loud, in the end, I can't cope any longer. I break into sobs, I fall down and call out, whatever Christ enlightens me. Many times I just say, oh Christ, my Johnny, please, Christ, my Johnny, help him. Having cried out a lot, I leave peaceful for work, which is a sign that the prayer is true, with a hope inside of me that God won't allow my child to be lost. Like the person who said, I pray for my mother and, and said, just do the prayer for the dead. Because it says, oh, I think she's not going to be saved. And she was all there. And then at the end she goes, I have this peace. What is it? I leave it to God. I just feel that God will, God will do what he wants with her and help her. See that? And now he says he feels peaceful. Even at times during the prayer, he broke down, he was crying. And then he would say, Please, God, you help him. You do it. You enlighten him. And I leave peaceful with hope inside of me that God won't allow my child to be lost. Well, didn't I tell you that Johnny's going to put you in order? It's going to make you spiritual more. Do you know how many similar situations I have here where through some trial they have learnt themselves to pray and in turn and with patience they have won over others as well? Should I tell you an incident to make you marvel? And he goes on for another example which I left out because it's too long. But like my mother, for example, as I said before, my father had diabetes. There was the fear they were going to cut his toes off, even his, his leg. She wasn't going to church much. She was not much at all at that stage. And because she didn't want him to lose his leg, she started going to church. She started doing these commemorations. She even went to the village. So she went to my father's village in Greece, which is Ithaca, to his village, that's because he was baptised in a church there, St. Vavrara. She had this thing that if she goes to that church and does a paraclysis, a, a, a maleben, that he'll get better. That was what she had. 
She went to Greece purposely just for that. She went on the boat. She caught the taxi to the village, got the priest in the night, got him there to go to the church. And then she caught the same boat back to Athens or back to Piraeus and then to whatever. Years later, a few years later, when I went to my father's village to, you know, to see and all that, I met a priest and um, I told him who I am. He goes, ah. Oh. He goes, I remember your mother. I've never seen one pray like that. She was on her knees. So I think that's what happens. I think that situations can help us become spiritual. So that, I believe, helped her become spiritual. So his toes were cut off on one leg, but not the leg. And they were ready to cut off his leg. The last section, E, children who leave home. Now, some children who leave home could even have Christian roots. Or there are those who leave home who weren't brought up properly as Christians, if, if at all. Or there's those who were abused and whose parents were Christian, who were forced, pestered, irritated them, bothered them. And those who are abused with no Christian background, with parents who weren't religious, but they still pestered them, coerced them, forced them, things like that. All these different situations. So I've got some examples here. St. Paisius, it's essential to have an atmosphere of love and peace at home. If children receive a little love at home, even if they should stray for a while, they will see that they can't find love anywhere, only hypocrisy, and they'll return home. However, if they can only remember ugly scenes at home, arguments and um, enmity, that's like hatred and hostility, how can they find the heart to go back? So, your children might leave. But if your house had an atmosphere of love, peace, etc., the child will remember that. And when it's in the world, the world of hypocrisy, where there's no love, these type of things, the child will remember the childhood home. The child could be an adult, whatever, and come back. But when the house was fighting and screamings and and the hatreds and all these problems and abuse and forcing, then the child, even if it's in danger out in the world, sometimes says, I'd rather stay here than go back home. That's not good, is it? That's why it's important that your house be a happy house so that if your children do stray, they come back. But I know children who hate living at home and they don't want to be there. And if they leave, I don't even know if they'll even come back. St. Paisios, when from a young age a child becomes filled with Christ, goes to church with his parents, communes, chants, prays, and later on when he gets older leaves home and, and ends up possibly in an unfavourable environment, it's not difficult for him so if a child's been brought up in a good way, spiritually, etc., 
and then that child leaves home for whatever reason, might be to study, circumstances, or they went off. So I want, I want my freedom, I want to go and do sins. And it says that those children, because they've got this deep inside of them, a lot of times that helps them to bring them to their senses or even to go home. Elder, someone said to Elder Paisios, what should the parents do when a child leaves home? The elder replies, they should try to keep in touch with the child so that when he comes to his senses, he'll be able to return home. They should speak kindly to their child, raise his awareness in order to help him. So, raises awareness means, I think, that when you speak nice to the child, you can make him aware in a nice way that what you're doing is wrong or be careful and things like that. Let's say a child comes home late at night. His mother should approach him and say, look here, my child, if you're in my place and your children stayed out late at night, wouldn't you be very worried? Or in this case, it looks like... Well, it's a bit mixed. I don't know why it's left home. Okay, and there's another example. I think he's, he's saying about the ones that left home. Now he's talking about also the ones that are still at home, but they're going out late, etc. And he says to speak to them in a human way, nice way, gently, and say, how would you feel if it was you in my situation where your child was coming back late and you didn't know where the child was? Things like that. Just speak nicely. Of course, above all, is prayer. Saint Paisios. The prayer of the parents, and particularly of a mother, like Father John Christiankin says, and particularly of a mother, again, because it's from the heart and has pain, is readily heard. Heard by who? By God. When I was at the skeet of Eviron, that's Manathos, a young man came by chance and found me. He was wandering in Halkidiki. Halkidiki is northern Greece. He found some pilgrims coming to the holy mountain and came with them to St. Paisius's hut there. Interesting. It says that this boy was wandering around, met up with some people who were going to Manaphos. So this boy, man, whatever, he decided to go with them because they were going there. He just said, I'll go with you, because he was just roaming around. He said, I'll go. But this is God's providence, you see. So they ended up at the cell of St. Paisius. My goodness, says the saint, he was an atheist, blasphemous, very proud and rude. He had a devilish cleverness and believed in nothing. Sometimes parents confuse when their children are clever. They don't know that sometimes their cleverness is demonic because the, demonics, the demons can make people in an evil way to be smart. So... He swore at all of the other pilgrims. So he used to swear at people, young and old. With patience and a little effort, I brought him to some realisation of himself. I gave him a haircut, because he had long hair. He used to do that, the saint. He used to cut, when men used to come with really long hair out of it. He used to say, oh, let me cut your hair. And they used to let him, um, uh, because he had very long hair. Look, I told him, may your mother be well, for it was certainly her prayers that brought you here. You're right, Father, he told me. I don't even know how I got here. If your mother finds out that you have come here to the Holy Mountain, 
and sees you with your hair cut, she will feel such joy for you. How did you know that, Father? My mother would truly be overjoyed to see me so changed. He responded, God turned him, in other words, St. Peter is now making a comment, God turned him this way and that way and guided him to the master. How much prayer his mother must have poured out for him. Again, back to the mother. How many references have we heard about fathers today? Maybe one, the same Father Haralambos. But nearly every single comment has been mothers, 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 mothers. How much praise mother must have poured out for him. The last story is very interesting. I read you some of the um, teachings of Metropolitan Neophytos of Morphu, Cyprus last time. He's a bishop in Cyprus, very spiritual bishop. But aren't all bishops spiritual? No. He's very spiritual. And uh, he had a lot of contact with, El with Elder Yakovos and Elder Paisios and Elder Porfirios, another two saints. I think it was Elder Evmenios, who hasn't been canonized yet, and one, so one other saint, maybe Elder Amphilochios Macris of Patmos, if I'm right. Is that correct? Patmos? Is it Patmos? Elder Amphilochios Macris? Patmos. So he was with these people a lot. Anyway, so he's going to give a story now. This is the last story. Let's see what we can learn from this. He's, this is him speaking. I remember two children from one of our villages. The father was so oppressive. There's that word again, oppressive. What does that mean? Forcing. Strict, but in a bad way. That the boy and the girl got up and left the house when they were 15 years old and went to live with their grandmother. So these kids are only 15. They couldn't take the father because he was forceful. And they left. They went to the, the granny's place. They had guts. She was a grandmother of the old Cyprus. In other words, she was very tolerant. She was very loving, you know, kind, things like that. And the children grew up in the same neighbourhood but with their grandmother. So their grandmother lived in the same neighbourhood as their parents. Now, no mention of the mother. Where's the mother in all this? There are, unfortunately, mothers that allow their husbands to be like that, oppressive. They do nothing. They see their kids being squashed being affected, being disturbed by, say, the father, or the opposite, the father sees the mother do it, mostly a lot of times the father, and they do nothing. So these children were in the same neighbourhood as their parents. When I visited, the Metropolitan says, when he was a priest, I would assume, when I visited her school, the girl, when the girl, it was this boy and girl that left, when I visited her school, she asked me, can I come to your church to confess? And the Metropolitan says, come. Can I bring my brother? Bring him. I suddenly realised that these children were not living with their parents. They had rebelled against their parents and left them. I became their spiritual father. 
After a year of being their spiritual father, a man came to me very angry, like he was going to pull out my beard. I am the father of the two young ones that you have given shelter to, that you're protecting, that you're making them not come home, stupidities like that. I said to him, it's your behaviour that drove them out. And it's a good thing that their grandmother was there to take care of them, he said. In other words, he's saying, what happens if they fell into the wrong hands? What happens if the grandmother wasn't there and they went and lived somewhere else, which was bad for them? They left because of you. No pussyfooting around, you know, you know this and that. Straight to the point. Your behaviour drove them out. He couldn't understand and I couldn't communicate with him. The only thing I had time to say to him as he was leaving was, tell me please, is your wife also like you? And he, and he said, no, she's softer. Tell her to come because I want to ask her something, which would be therapeutic for the whole family. The woman came, a woman, how can I describe her? A heartwarming soul, but oppressed by a man who thought he was Zeus on earth like Zeus is like a Greek god. And I saw that she could not carry out much of a dialogue with me. Why? Why couldn't she speak? He says it here. This is how much he had destroyed her personality. So he not only destroyed the kids, but he also destroyed her. He had destroyed her personality and she couldn't even speak. She was trapped. I said to her, do you know how to read? She answered, yes. I once was an A student. Can I give you the Akathis to the mother of God? Can you do it every day? It only takes 15 minutes. She said, I'll do it. So I gave her the Akathis to the mother of God and I said to her, before you do them, you will say to the Mother of God, My all holy one, as parents we have failed. Only you can take care of our children. This is the only thing. And then begin with this spirit of a failed mother, of a failed parent, and pray to the Mother of God with pain and humility. This is like a summary of all what we heard today. In other words, blame yourself for the situation. He told her that. Repent what you've done. And as a failed mother, as a failed parent, pray to the mother of God with pain and humility. I understand, she replied, what we didn't do with our children, the mother of God will do instead. So she admits that she mucked up. She took the Akathis and I asked her, if you want, you can come back in a month's time. She came back after one month. Did anything happen? Nothing, she said. I said to her, continue the Akathis and I'll give you the supplicatory canon. The woman started doing the supplicatory canon to the mother of God as well. I'll give you an example, we just want to stop here. So I was helping this woman whose father was an alcoholic the father was so bad, he was a blasphemer. He would blaspheme against God, etc. Even he was religious once, orthodox. 
And she said, um, he drinks, he blasphemes, he's aggressive, he's this, he's that. And I said, we'll do commemorations, but you do some too. And she said, okay. And sometime later I said to her, how's it going? The same. He's still drinking. And I said to myself, impossible. Impossible. She said, people are blind as bats, so I, I thought to myself, I don't believe it. You cannot commemorate someone and, and nothing happened. No. I didn't believe it. I said, can you explain to me what you're talking about? Because he's still drinking. But what's his spirit like? Oh, boy, he stopped blaspheming. Oh, such a small thing. He stopped blaspheming. Yeah, and what else? Goes, um, he's softer towards us. Small, very small thing, I said. So insignificant. I can understand why you forgot. He... He says things like, I'm not, I'm not good, you know, because I'm drinking and I'm not a good man. Did he ever say that before? No. Oh, that was the most trivial of them all. I can see where you say he hasn't changed. What a stupid woman. That was so stupid of her. And this is what happens to a lot of people. Someone said to me, um, oh, my father's dying of cancer, for example. And I um, said, okay, we'll do prayers. And he said, please, you do prayers too, yes. And then I speak to them later on. Uh, how's, how's your father going? He's still got cancer. Yes, but how's he going? Well, he's still got cancer. He's still got But how's he going spiritually? What's like goes, oh, well, he doesn't complain now about much. He's enduring the pain better. He's in better spirits. He's talking more. But he's still got cancer, like a broken record. People have no idea how prayer affects people. And they've got to look at things like, oh, can you pray for my son? He's gone really off, really, really off. Okay, we'll do prayers. You do prayers too, yes. So you see them later on, or they write to you. How's it going? It's the same. It's the same. How is it the same? Sometimes you get irritated. How is it the same? Is anything different? You've got to then, it's like you've got to interrogate them, like I'm a solicitor, and then go through and cross-examine them. And, you get, and then at the end, uh, well, he's talking to me now more and he's saying sorry. He's still going out, but he's saying sorry. And did you do that before? No, before you used to call me dog and bitch and things like that. Oh, does he do that now? He goes, no. So how is it the same? He's still going out. This is a recording. Oh, he's still got cancer. Oh, he still drinks. Lulu things. So I like that. First, blame yourself as a foul mother, foul parent, prayed mother of God and with pain and humility. I understand, she replied. So she took the Akathis and I asked her, if you want, you can come back in a month's time. She came back after one month. Did anything happen? Nothing, she said. I said to her, continue the Akathis and I'll also give you the supplicatory canon. The woman started doing the supplicatory canon to the mother of God as well. After a few days, the children came to see me. The children didn't know that I'd spoken to their parents. They said, you know, 
we began to feel the need for our mother and we're thinking of asking her to send us some of the food we used to like to the house of our grandmother. But some dope would say, but they still didn't come home. Back to the thing. Did your mother say anything to you, said the priest? They said, no, we ourselves felt that we should have some kind of relationship with our mother. Not with the father, with the mother. And they started feeling, oh, I wish I could eat the cooking of mum and all that. See how the mother of God went to the children and put into them a good thought, a good desire. We began with the good food, macaroni in the oven, from the food of the mother. I was just saying, the improvement, the answer to the prayers that started to work was the macaroni. Some people say, how is that? Children didn't come home yet from the macaroni. Let's see what happens. The children return home because of the prayers of the mother. And now, by the grace of God, one of them is now a wonderful educator, a teacher with three children. And the other is a very good lawyer with a very good relationship with his father and mother. But all this happened because of the prayers of the mother. With God's help, we, we actually finished the talk on the last word, the mother. Emphasis on the mother. Any questions? So the question is that I mentioned in the talk that some people have regret and some people have repentance. So if you've got only regret, which is not enough, because Judas had regret, how do you convert the regret to repentance? Well, firstly, we must be soft and understand that we are human and that we make mistakes. Sometimes people can't repent because they can't believe that they've done something. They're too proud. So perhaps we need to, before we repent of the mistakes we made with our children or whatever, we need to ask God for humility, to give us the gift of humility so that we can repent, because you need humility to repent. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's expression. So what comes first, humility or repentance? I say humility. We need humility, and from the humility we repent. When we repent, we become more humble. The more humble we become, the more we repent. It goes back and forth. Now, we can also ask God and say, give me a spirit of repentance. Help me to acknowledge and to repent of my mistakes that I've made. 
when we see our passions and our sins and the mistakes that we've made and we don't have God's grace, it's like the psychiatrists, see? So when this world of psychiatry came in, in moral, what they were finding is that they were opening up people, they were starting to see themselves, and, op- and a lot of them were committing suicide. A lot of them were becoming worse. It wasn't working very well. And the reason being is because they never had God's grace. That's the difference between a psychiatrist and a priest. But anyway, the psychiatrists don't even do hardly that anymore. Maybe some psychologists do work on the person, but the psychiatrists don't actually try and open up the person and try to go back to the childhood and see and what did they do and what did their parents do to them or whatever, whatever. What they do now is they medicate them. Less trouble. They medicate them, sedate them, make them into zombies, and then later on, that's it. They make, make more money out of it, The because medic, medications are very expensive, and it, there's no improvement. Now, when we go to confession, we are opening up and seeing this horrible, our horrible state that we're in. But together with God's grace, we are able to endure what we see and to ask God forgiveness and receive his grace to be able to be forgiven and to be healed. You don't get healed in those psychiatric places because they don't trust in God's grace. There's maybe some improvement to some degree, but most of the time they're just sedating. Now, some people are legitimately mentally ill. There's some things, but a lot of the mentally ill people, as I've said before, it's purely ego, a lot of ego involved. Uh, They just don't want to see themselves. They can't see themselves. They don't want to admit their faults and things like that. So we need... God's grace to heal us, to soothe us. And then it will be like, for example, a woman, like the question that was asked. So say, a woman comes to the realisation that she's produced demons for children, for example. They're horrible. They're revolting. They're demonic. They're terrible. How can she come to terms with that and say to herself, what have I done? She'll be devastated. She can even commit suicide because it's so bad. And if they're sensitive, if they're sensitive people, like St. Peter says, they become really knocked out. So the answer is that you can't do that without God's grace. We need God's grace. So it's like, you know, hope I don't offend you in the way I just thought of an example. So we see our sins with our naked eyes like we look at the sun. If we look at the sun with our naked eyes, it will damage our eyes, correct? So what we do is we wear glasses, special glasses, so that the light is diffused and not to affect us and damage us. It's the same as when we look at our sins. It's like looking at the sun with your raw eyes, with your, with your eyes. It's so, deep, so bad, it can actually damage your soul. So what we need is we need like sunglasses in the sense we need God's grace to diffuse, to soften, to help us, to heal us, 
to be able to cope with what we've done. And then comes repentance like that. But when we try to go into our soul and see ourselves without God, it's dangerous. And that's why now they're saying, oh, we'll just give pills, it's easier. Let's not go to the past and let's not look in the, deep into their souls. Just give them the pills to sedate them. Does that answer the question? Okay, let's stand up. Once this guy said to me that he heard that you've got to have spiritual knowledge, soft knowledge, and he said to me, and I prayed for God to enlighten me and show me all my passions and my faults. But what he didn't do is he didn't do it properly. It was pride. I'm going to be like a saint and have self-knowledge and see myself. So he did it. And God opened up his eyes. And he started to see himself. And what happened? He ran for the hills. He lost himself. He couldn't cope with what he saw. And he fell away. Became demonic. It's not a game. Don't ask for self-knowledge in a, in a proud way. Ask for self-knowledge in a humble way. Ask God to show you yourself and to heal you. That's why in the service of the church it says, God, I stink from my passions. I'm evil. The demons are tormenting me, etc., 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 etc. Have mercy on me. Heal me. For you love mankind, etc. That's an orthodox spirit. Without that, to see yourself is going to be very painful and dangerous. Through the prayers of our fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, and save us. Amen.